happy 100 episode. Hello and welcome to the 100th faculty meeting asterisk podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael and I have brought along with me today, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing this fine Sunday morning? I am doing quite well, Michael. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be recording this episode. As am I. Now, usually these faculty meeting episodes are designed for you and I to share some of the experience we've gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But today's going to be a little bit different because this is our 100th faculty meeting episode. Again, asterisk. And uh, we're, this is going to be a little bit of a special episode. We're going to do kind of talk about where we've been, maybe where we're going. We have a special guest that's going to drop in in the middle. And we have a whole lot of very nice things that other people have said about us, and we're going to play those clips. And we also have some outtakes that we have not yet shared that we're going to include as well. So this is going to be kind of like a clip show from your favorite TV show, hopefully anyways. So if this was a sitcom, we would be entering a really contrived scenario where for some reason we would have to reflect back on what happened. Uh, we might be stuck in a car on a long trip in traffic. Uh, we could potentially be marooned on a desert island. Or maybe we're in a hospital and we're flashing back to our coma memories. Maybe this was all a dream. <laughs> yeah, we, we wake up and we're in the hospital. And um, we're still on iTunes. We've never yeah! left. All right, so I, I can't top that, so we'll just move on. So I'll I'll throw it to you. Um, the joke is always that I talk more than you, which is true, though I have I have tried recently to get better at that. You know, the other day we were at lunch with a friend, and I said that our working relationship was exactly like Penn and Teller, and and my <laughs> wife looks at me and says, "Well, which one are you?" I said, "Obviously, I'm Teller because I never get to say anything." <laughs> but you sum up so well, you know, Teller. Teller is more skilled than Penn at magic, so... There you go. In the world of summary, I've I've got it all. It's the <laughs> one thing I'm good at. Well, since we're an audio-only medium, you can't just do the little looks that Teller does. You, ha you have to have at least some verbiage in there. Someday, we will have a, a video show, and I'm just going to channel Teller. That's all there's going to be to it. <laughs> it's going to be great, and everyone's going to love it. Um, I, I agree with that. Uh, but let's start with you. So you joined the podcast a, about a year or so, roughly, from when it had started. You know, again, we've talked about this many, many times. Evan, original co-host, it was his original idea for us to, to even do the podcast. And then real life kind of caught up with him, and he decided to take a step away, which originally was going to be temporary. Like, that's what he said, is I just need some time off. And you and I had started talking through, uh, through the show, through the Twitter. You'd written a couple articles for us. And I said, hey, would you mind filling in being a, a part-time co-host until Evan comes back? And you said yes. So knowing what you know now and looking back on your life and everything since you joined the podcast, how do you feel? What do you think? What, you know, what goes through your mind? Well, you know, sometimes when you're in therapy, your therapist says write a letter to your younger self. 
I, I've thought about what that letter would contain, and it would just be, shut the fuck up. Do not respond to that email, ever. <laughs> no, I kid, I kid. Um, It has been a very worthwhile and rewarding experience. I think getting involved with the RPG Academy and being part of its growth over the past few years has been honestly one of the most fantastic and rewarding things I've ever done. Uh, we have touched on this briefly on different shows, but a lot of times I am very guilty of starting projects and never finishing them or losing motivation or just not being able to follow through with some of the things I want to do in my life. And the RPG Academy has been a constant forward momentum. We're always doing something new and better. Yes, there are many setbacks and hurdles. There are a lot of problems that arise and a lot of stress that results from this project. But we are consistently moving forward. We went from just you and me recording this show to bringing on guests, to developing the network, and now we have this amazing group of people that we all come together, we all work on projects, we all support each other. We went from simply doing a podcast and writing articles to running a convention and actually getting people who were not just our friends and family members to come down and play games with us. That's amazing. That's just that's still mind-blowing that we were able to do that successfully and that we are continuing to do that. So overall, my time with the Academy has been one of the highlights of my life, let alone my gaming career. Uh, being able to partner with you, being able to make so many friends and grow my family with the, the voices I know on the internet and being able to hang out with all these people, that is honestly one of the most important things in my life. All these people that come together, that means so much to me. And that never would have happened if I hadn't pestered you three or four years ago about, hey, can I write a couple articles? And then said, yeah, what, how about I record myself talking for a little bit? I, I'm Again, I'm exactly, I'm with you. It, I know myself well enough. I'm a very self-realized person, flaws and all. That I become obsessed with things, and you know, we've I've talked before. I became obsessed with poker for a long time. I've become obsessed. With, I was obsessed with writing for a long time. I, you know, I'm obsessed with video games for a long time. And even though I've always played role playing games off and on, it was never an obsession for me. Again, even before the podcast, I always still just played with a small group of friends at my house. It was it was secluded and sequestered, and I didn't really. I didn't really put myself out there as a gamer because I've, you know, gamer shame. I'm, I'm at the age with the satanic panic and all that. And this has been a, sort of a life-changing project for me. And the fact that I'm obsessed with it, I'm sure that someone smart enough and trained could do some analysis. And there's probably some issues there. But I've always wanted to treat this like a like it was a profession. You know, and the fact that I wanted to be a professional product. I didn't want it just to be a couple guys talking about stuff. And, you know, I've, I've some, said somewhat jokingly, somewhat serious, that I wonder if that's what pushed Evan away because I wanted to put so much time into it and I wasn't satisfied with us just just doing whatever. But despite that, I think the fact that I approached it that way and I've always pushed for it to be that way 
is part of the reason why we have been as successful as we have, not just in terms of audience growth, but again, attracting people who want to be part of us, whether it's the network or people who want us to share their Kickstarters or people who want to come to our convention. I don't know that we would have got to those places without that push. So I, you know, I know that I drive you crazy. I know I drive other people crazy, but there's a part of me who thinks if I didn't do that, then maybe we wouldn't be where we're at. I don't disagree with you. And I think that the level of quality in our show is 100% your fault. (laughs) I accept. But yeah, we have been doing a lot recently. I feel like this year has been very chaotic. Uh, 2016 has had its very, very high points and very, very low points in our uh, podcast career. But I think overall, that is a sign of growing pain. I think coming into 2016, we were at a point where we either needed to be content with staying where we were or drive ourselves to the next level. Find that thing that would spike us up, either in listenership, in doing something new, in just pushing ourselves to do something better. And we chose to find that something better. And because of that, it, it's not an easy path. A, a lot of a lot more obstacles arose this year. However, we've come through them. I think we are in a better place than we were. I think we have not lost any quality or drive or desire to do what we do. I mean, guys, anyone who is in a podcast knows what Michael and I do. So you guys need to realize that what we do is somewhere between a part-time and a full-time job after our day jobs and on top of our families and other adult responsibilities. And at this point, even with what we've been able to do with Patreon and Kickstarter and the support of everyone that is participating with us, this is all non-paying. This is all a hobby. This is all we do this because we choose to. And I say that because I think that is proof of how good we are doing. We, we've done really well this year. I, I don't want this faculty meeting to be boasting and prideful, but we have done a hell of a lot this year. And I think it is very important for us to be proud of what we've done. We've come a long way and we haven't gone down. We've consistently increased in quality, in skill, in what we are doing, in our focus. So I think it is absolutely acceptable to be very proud of where we are recording this 100th faculty meeting episode and what the the 500th 600th episode overall something like that uh about 354 roughly somewhere it's, in there it I, feels I like so much more than that <laughs> it, it does uh 350 plus actually out on the feed there are several episodes that are for patrons only. There's quite a few we've recorded that have never aired for one reason or another. You know, going back, the things that I think about, the things that I think are interesting about what we do is I, um, you know, again, we, we make fun the fact that I'm from Kentucky and I have, I 
can't pronounce words and stuff like that. And, and it never really bothers me because I'm that person. I have a large vocabulary because I read. Like, I really am the poster child of, I've read that word before. I know what it means, but I may not know how to say it. So it doesn't bother me that sometimes I don't say the words correctly. Or write them correctly. Or write them correctly. That's just because I, I stream of conscious. I, I know I make mis- mistakes. I just don't care. Like, I would rather, I just want to keep pushing information to you. Um, so it's just like, you know, it's close enough. He'll know what I mean. Cause again, the point of communication is to convey ideas. And as long as you understand what I meant, then it doesn't matter if I misspelled a word or not. Anyway, moving on. But I was that kid for the longest time that did not speak in class. I, I mumbled, uh, terribly. I, I would talk really low. I didn't want to be heard. I was ashamed to be called on in class. So the fact that in any way I have gained recognition from simply speaking is is ridiculous to me. Like if you were to go back 25 years and ask me if I would ever do anything in the realm of public speaking or, again, like a podcast, I'd say no, but you would not hear me because I would mumble it and say it really low. And I just it's it's crazy how that has come together. And I think being a DM helped me be a better manager at my jobs. I certainly think that being a manager at those jobs has helped me become a better public speaker, become better at DMing as well. There's a lot of cross-pollination. So that's just something that sometimes makes me smile to think that I'm actually more well-known for my voice than anything. And And I've got that several times, even at the most recent Gen Con, where not someone looking at me, but someone like walking in front of me would hear me and stop and turn around and go, wait, you're Michael from the RPG Academy? Just because they heard my voice, but if they'd seen my face, they would have no idea who I was. That just tickles me for some reason. Well, the old joke is very true. You and I have faces for radio. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that is absolutely true. Hello, heroes. This is James D'Amato of the One Shot Podcast Network. I'd like to congratulate Michael and Caleb for reaching 100 episodes on Table Topics. Since you're listening to this, you already know how special the RPG Academy is. Michael and Caleb are inspirations to gamers all across the country, and many people have rolled dice for the first time because of the work done on the RPG Academy. They do what I think is most important in our industry. They make games easier for new people to get involved with, and more fun for people who are already playing. The influence of Table Topics and the RPG Academy brand cannot be denied. I'm always inspired looking at the long list of collaborators on the RPG Academy network. So to Michael and Caleb, thank you for all of your hard work. And to everyone listening right now, thank you for lending them your ear. See you next time, heroes. So let's let's talk about a little bit of specifics, I guess, is when you look back, uh, not just the last year, but the last roughly three years, what has been a favorite moment? And then what is something that you either regret or lo- would like to do a do over or a lesson learned, I would say? Hmm. Well, I think, man, there, there's just so much good stuff. A lot of the interviews we've done have been some of my favorite things because we've really gotten to talk with very cool people that I never thought I would be able to connect with on a professional or social level. Some of the the game designers we've worked with, whether they're independent or professional, just being able to basically sit down and have a conversation with these people that I view as doing the thing that I want to do, that that has been very, uh, very special, very important. I think I think some of my favorite moments, though, have been our games. I think the the 13th Age game we did, I, I think that is definitely a highlight in the career here at the Academy. I think 
It was a very interesting game, a very intense game with a lot of great role-playing. As a player, I did not predict a lot of the things that you were doing, which I think made it a favorite because I was so engulfed in the story, I wasn't observing it from outside to see what's happening. A lot of times when you're reading a book or watching a movie, you say, oh, this is the scene that's going to happen next. And that has happened in many games. I specifically remember at a Catacon 2015, I was playing in Rob's horror game, and we got to a point where I just dropped what I was holding and walked away from the table because I knew what was happening, because I knew horror movies, and I knew what was going to come next. And it was so intense. I just had to get away from that situation for a minute. I still loved that game. I was still right in the middle of it. But I saw what was coming, and then he did it. And it was still just terrifyingly mind-blowing. <laughs> because Rob's a fantastic horror GM. But in 13th Age, I never did that. I never stepped away from my character to say, oh, we're probably going into a scene like this. I should get ready how to react or figure out what move I'm going to use. I was so engulfed in the traumatic experience of what my character was going through. I just, I couldn't handle it. I just, I had to be in the moment of the character. Maybe that's also the thing I, I dislike the most about my, my time with the RPG Academy because you really fucked over that character. <laughs> well, and what I want to point out, and I, and I don't remember the editing. I can't remember what was in and what was not. But there was a moment early in that game where you were using your shadow walk power. And I, and I just asked you, I was like, okay, when you do shadow walk, is this like, do you just like hide in shadows really well? Or do you actually cross like dimensions into like a shadow realm and then pop out? And you're like, I think that sounds cooler. Yeah. I go into a shadow realm and come out. That instantly changed everything about that campaign. It changed the trajectory of the campaign and that ability became central to the entire story. And had you said, no, I just hide in shadows very well, that would have been a vastly different game. You know, in my defense, I think when you asked me that question, my version of the answer was I cross through the shadow space but still just instantly teleport, kind of like a Nightcrawler. But then it just evolved into dropping into a parallel dimension and walking around while time is kind of stopped in the other dimension. So I'm going to say that was more you than me because I don't want any blame in that situation. I don't think it's blame. I think that is the – I think that's a good example of how a GM can take what a player does and make it important and because that became – centrally important and and for the first arc you became the main character because i decided that yeah that's what you do but that's what you do that isn't like everyone who shadow walks that's what they do but your character specifically that makes you unique and in 13th age that's that's kind of okay that wasn't your quote-unquote one unique thing but in my mind that was something that only you did which then made it you very valuable and at this point, it doesn't look like we're ever going to go back to that game. So this will be a spoiler. So if you don't want to know anything about where that was going, cover your ears, you know, three, two, one spoiler. Um, essentially, what you could do was the same thing the Prince of Shadows could do. That was how the Prince of Shadows was the Prince of Shadows. The fact that he could do that made him 
the the icon and what had happened to you which was this was going into season two which we never actually aired some people had captured you and put a collar on you so that you could no longer do your power they were trying to capture this the prince of shadows and you were the guinea pig for them to perfect their magical collar so if they could prevent you from doing it they could prevent him from doing that well now i want to play it again (laughs) so yeah you were the offspring of the prince of shadows and uh that's uh, that's how you could do that, and that's why he would sometimes drop in and help you out in some weird way. And uh, you were the secret to his demise, because once they figured out how to keep you from doing it, they were going to capture him. Yep. Yeah, we need to play that game again. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's do that. Let's. Uh, we don't need to record the rest of this episode, right? Let's just play that game. Yes. Congratulations, RPG Academy, on your 100th episode. I'm so glad to be a part of it. Hello, this is Klaus. Congratulations, RPG Academy, for getting to 100 episodes, even in Berlin. This is our favorite RPG podcast. You make a picture for us? Oh, keep it up. Yeah. All right. So what about some, uh, again, not not bad things, but like, what would you do differently? Lessons learned? Any regrets uh, if you could do a do-over from the first three years? I think what I have learned the most over these past three years what I wish I would have been better at when we first started and what I am still working on to improve even now is I'm trying to think of the right words to use here, kind of my self-awareness or common sense about how I speak when we're on the microphone here. Both you and I have the ability to dominate a conversation and go off on tangents and just keep talking, right? However, when we're doing an interview, when we're having a conversation, especially because we are recording for an audience to listen to, you have to be able to censor yourself. You have to be able to listen to yourself while you're speaking, be aware of what you're saying, how you're saying it, how it relates to what was just said, whether it answers a question or moves from one question to another. So that self-awareness is something that I try very, very hard to learn how to do. And I think in the first recordings we did, the first interviews we did, I did not have that skill, and I did not even know that I was lacking that skill. It was one of those you-don't-know-what-you-don't-know situations. And in the past year, year and a half, I've become much more aware when I fail to do that properly. And halfway through a sentence, I'll realize I need to stop talking. Or I should have said this differently. Or where am I? What just happened? So I'm becoming more aware of when I'm doing it wrong So I'm trying to learn how to be – I'm trying to learn how to prepare myself to not go down that wrong path. I'm trying just to focus on doing the best possible disc jockey, radio interviewer, radio conversation, uh, professional delivery, professional performance. Unlike you, I grew up in the theater. I was always on stage. I was always talking. I was always – given a monologue or some sort of speech or something like that. So I'm very used to performing, but having a conversation 
and having a conversation that we record for an audience to listen to, that is a very different type of public speaking. And I have much more respect for professional disc jockeys, radio personalities, all the other people on podcasts that are way more successful than us. I know that a lot of that is because of their skill. And me personally, I want to get to that point. I want to improve myself to get to that skill level. So the only thing I wish I would have done differently over the past few years is get better at this faster. Some of the people who've been around for the long time may have noticed, uh, whether they realize it or not, that you and I rarely do interviews together anymore. When we interview people, it's almost always you do it or I do it. We very rarely both do it together. Some of that was scheduling, but the other part was that we realized we didn't do as good a job as interviewers when we were both trying to do it. Part of it's the fact we're not in the same room and just the the issues with you know technology that we interrupted each other. We both have a thought, and it was just it was harder to focus on the guest. And that's I think that has improved the quality of our interviews as much as anything is that we now do them one-on-one. Although there are times I wish we both did them uh, because I think that we, you and I do have a different viewpoint and we bring different things to the table in regards to the types of questions we ask and, and how we draw out information. But uh, yeah, I think that's something that we realized we would do a better job if we didn't have to deal with each other while we were interviewing the person. Well, if someday in the future we actually have the RPG Academy studio and we can be in the same room while we're recording, then we'd be able to do that very easily. Even if the guest was calling in or video chatting in, if you and I were in the same room, I think our dynamic would improve greatly. I think so as well. There'd also be a much higher risk for physical violence. <laughs> well, I remember when we tried to record our first Kickstarter video together. <laughs> that was an interesting couple hours, let me tell you. There was no violence, though. We were just... We Awful. just could, we couldn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, it was, which I think more, more, most of that was the technology. We didn't have the right camera. We didn't have the right setup. So it sounded bad. It didn't look good. Uh, we were so focused on trying to say the script that we weren't, we weren't being us. And, you know, that's one of the things I want when we talk about future planning, I want to talk about how we need to stay who we are, I think. Um, but that was fun. And yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic when we're in the same room. A lot more bloopers happen. I'll just say that. <laughs> Well, one of the things that you mentioned about uh, talking less when you are doing an interview, that's kind of become my go-to advice when people say, you know, what's advice for a new GM? Talk less. And that's not necessarily the point of what this conversation is, but just because you brought it up. And I realized that as I was editing all of our actual plays, how often I could cut out whoever the GM was speaking and just let there be more role playing. And you could still understand what was happening all the sort of connective tissue that the GM does isn't as needed as you might think it is. And if you just let the players role play, it, it sounds a lot, from an entertainment standpoint, I think it sounds a lot better. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of lessons in life that could be learned and just say, talk less and better things will happen for you. Hey, this is Nico. Congratulations on the hundredth episode. May you have a thousand more. Uh, but with all of that being said, I think we should turn these two questions around on you, Mr. Host person who started <laughs> this whole shenanigan. So uh, favorite moment, favorite thing, best memory 
Oh, there's so much, so, so much. And I'm going to answer again. I'm going to do the typical Michael thing. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two. One, just in general, the community. And I know we've said that before, but it's true. I have legitimate friends now that I would not have had if it wasn't for this podcast. And then I have associates and, and people who maybe, maybe were not friends, but I get to talk to that person regularly. I get to hang out with them. They have become a part of my life in a way that they would not have if it weren't for this podcast. And, you know, some of that is quote unquote celebrities, you know, like Rob Schwab. I don't want to presume that I'm his friend, but I'm his convention friend. When we go to the same convention and we're together, we often will play together. We'll go hang out after hours together. And that is awesome. I'd, I'd love that I can do those types of things. And then just the people who listen to our show, who comment to our, on our show, who have come in and been players or GMs, just sort of, you know, in and out. I assume you've gotten this too, but you probably got a wedding invite this week to someone that I consider a friend that I would never even have met if it hadn't been from this podcast. I just think that's amazing that we, we've become part of people's lives and they've become part of ours because of this show. And I just think that's crazy. But to narrow it down to, to, one, to one moment, I think it would be when we went to Chicago and played in the one-shot game for uh, Legend of the Five Rings. Because a couple different things. I feel like more than anything to that point, that legitimized our show. We we got a very large influx of new listeners. Uh, we got a lot of praise and accolades for the way we played that game. We met Jim, who I do consider Jim a friend now, and he and I have worked together, and he's been on our podcast. I've been on his. Uh, so that started a, a friendship with him that has, you know, went beyond the podcast. Uh, you and I are going to be able to have an RPG writer's credit to our names fairly soon because of some of those relationships that we have developed. So I think that being on that show, being on that, that episode or series of episodes on one shot was sort of a red letter date in the growth of our show. And without that particular moment, I think we would still be successful, but I don't think we would have nearly be as successful as we are now without that bump that it provided. Plus, James is just an awesome guy. Jim's an awesome guy. We later got to meet Kat. She wasn't there for that uh, particular episode. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think back to our show, and that is, if that's not the best moment, it's certainly one of. That was also a pretty dynamic moment for me because, frankly, I was terrified to play that game because— You and me both, brother. Yeah. I, I didn't really have a, a total comprehension of the rules. Still don't. Yeah, yeah. And I knew that going into the game, it was going to be a much more serious, intense, role-playing focused game. And I just felt that I was not prepared for that type of performance. And I still don't think I gave the best performance I could have. I'm very critical of myself in that situation. But that game was just amazing to play sitting around the table with James and Jim. It was just mind blowing how intense and real role playing could be. I don't think I fully comprehended how much art and style entered into the role playing hobby until we played that game. It was definitely a moment. And I, I do the same thing. I critique myself every time we play and, and I know I had some of the 
aha moments. But if you were if you take those out, I think my role play was okay, sub maybe even subpar. But uh, I have a I have a flair for the dramatic when it comes to those types of games. You and I delivered some great supporting roles in that game, and even in in part two. Even though you took on a little bit more of an important role in part two. <laughs> But you know, knowing knowing your place is an important skill as well, whether it be as a GM or player. Um, so I think we both did did what we needed to do to make that game as successful as possible. I was the co-host. I was the co-host in the game. I'm the co-host here. I'm okay with that. <laughs> These sirens outside my window are, are because the RPG Academy is having a 100th episode. <laughs> it's alarmingly good. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so absolutely. I, I love the community that we, we have become a part of. I, I love our listeners and our fans and the people again, that the, the friendships that have developed and that are continuing to develop are, uh, lifelong. And even if the podcast ends tomorrow, there's going to be people that I will continue to, to talk to and meet with and, and have fun with because of the show, which it means a lot to me. As far as regrets, probably the biggest and uh, you know, we've we've touched on this before, is I have become very frustrated by our inability to be consistent on some of the projects that we've started. We, uh, we've had several actual plays that have started and died very quickly for various reasons. Uh, you know, we, uh, we used to do more segments on our faculty meeting episodes, and we kind of, we do them for a couple weeks, and then we would stop. And then uh, you know, like even the, the choose your own adventure style game we did on the end of the show and tells, I'd love those, but we're wildly inconsistent with those. And part of that is despite how professional we try to make this, most of that we do in post and editing because the actual recording is like, Hey, I got an hour. You got an hour. Great. What do we want to talk about? I don't know. Let's figure it out. And we don't do nearly enough planning before we record that equals the amount of time we spend editing and, and, you know, and gaming so that we develop the uh, viewpoints that we can share that hopefully are a positive impact on people's gaming. I, I, I spoke to um, Matt recently. He's one of the people who, uh, who had just found us within the last few months and went through and listened to every single episode. And last weekend he and I jumped on a hangout. We just talked for about an hour and I was just kind of picking his brain about, you know, what would you say about the show? You've, you've listened to four years of my life condensed down in a few months, and you probably have a perspective that we don't because of that. And his thoughts mirrored a lot of, of our own that he missed some of the segments. You know, he, he wishes we had been able to be more consistent on those. And as we look forward to next year, that's one of the things that I, I really want to do is try to be more consistent with when we record so that we have the chance to actually maybe start doing twitching or, you know, YouTube live streaming type stuff and just make sure that we both present the best possible information every single time. I agree with you. I, I share that same frustration, probably not to the same level you do, but I absolutely feel the same way. And I think part of it, honestly, no, I think all of it is because we are doing this as a hobby after work, after we do our family stuff. We're trying to squeeze in an hour of recording, trying to get a game session in when everyone can, and we're four hours apart. We're doing this all over the internet. If I could drive over to your house and I had a set 
every Tuesday I go to Michael's house to do a thing, it would be a lot easier to stay consistent. Absolutely. So you need to move. I'm not moving to Cincinnati. I don't live in Cincinnati. I live in another place north of Cincinnati. I'm very bad at geography. I find what you're close to, and that's what I say. So I'm not moving to Cincinnati. Although you do have an Ikea, and I don't, so eh, maybe. (laughs) Excellent. Hey, guys. This is Porter Williams, the long-lost GM of the short-lived but well-loved Fate Deadlands actual play campaign. Sadly, it got cut short when I moved to the other side of the world two years ago. I miss the crew, but I'm still a big fan of the RPG Academy. I love the passion that these guys bring to their gaming and their willingness to try out anything. I'm so proud to have been a part of the show, and I firmly believe in their motto, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. I love you guys. All right, so uh, let's look to the future. We've kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's, let's get specific here. Um, as you look at what the show is is trying to do and what we're trying to to grow into next year to, or so, where do you see us and what would you like to see happen with the show? Well, I will steal your answer of consistency. I think more consistency in format, in when we deliver and how we deliver is very important. That is crucial to our growth going forward. I would like to see more consistent actual plays or examples of games. I think one of the strengths of the RPG Academy is that we were able to deliver both great advice and great gaming. Whether that gaming is an actual play, a trial of a new system, or just a field trip, us goofing around with a game we like, I think that balance is something that makes us unique in the podcast hobby world. A lot of people do one thing or the other. Some people do both. We do both very well. That's a strength we have. However, with the scheduling problems we have, it's really difficult to balance getting both type of shows done to the quality we like. So I think what I want most going forward is a return to weekly games, special events, that kind of thing. Maybe we have an ongoing session that's every other week, and those midweeks are filled with trials, one-shots, quick little throwaway games, just things like that. I I want more gaming on the air. All right. So, And just to reiterate what I've already said, the consistency is what I uh, am frustrated by, and I I have started working on it like an outline of show like formatting. And and I do want to bring back some of the segments that we used to do like gamers lexicon is one that you started a long time ago and and i really liked but we fell away from and it's one of the ones that matt mentioned specifically he missed i want to bring back our background segment that was one of the my favorite things we ever did is when we would take a background class concept that doesn't quite make a lot of sense and sort of mesh them together and come up with some examples of play i think i thought those were a lot of fun to do and i think they were very helpful but it's important to me that we don't lose what i think makes our show if not unique, special, is that we just talk. And I know that's not for everyone, and that may be in some ways limiting our audience, but I think the people who listen to us who enjoy what we do probably appreciate the fact that we very rarely present information and say, here's five ways for you to fix your game, or this is how you do this. It's often us just talking through 
our experiences, our you know examples of good and bad from our own tables and just our, our own our own philosophies of gaming. And so while I want to bring some segments back, I don't want to lose the fact that we often just talk about role-playing games and share our enthusiasm for them. I absolutely agree. And then I also want to become rich so that I can quit my job and do this full-time. So uh, I either have to win the lottery, which means I should start taking our Patreon money and just buying lottery tickets. That's that's cool, right? I can do that? Not now that you've said it. Edit that out. <laughs> Me Retroactively. Hey, Michael and Caleb. This is Quinn from Swallows of the South, and I wanted to congratulate you on 100 table topics, or rather, I guess, faculty meeting episodes at this point. I believe that I came onto the show around the time that you guys were doing your crossover episodes, doing L5R for one shot, and I turned over to the show, and I actually got hooked on the table topics episodes way more than basically anything else. I tore through as much of the backlog as I could while I was doing runs, and quite frankly, if I wasn't listening to your show, I probably would have run like not nearly as much as I did when I started listening. They pushed me through like the pack three miles on so, so many runs. And overall, I've just really, really come to love the amount of insight and humor and thoughtfulness that you guys bring to these episodes. It means a lot to me. It's helped me grow and reflect on who I am as a gamer and as a game master. It's really been, in some ways, formative for me. And it's certainly, even when I don't agree with you, prompted a lot of interesting thoughts in myself. So thank you guys for all the incredible work you guys have done with these faculty meetings episodes. They are just overall super duper awesome and incredible. Not to knock the quality of all of your other wonderful segments, because those are great too, but as someone who came on to the shows mostly listening to your Table Topics episodes, they hold a special place in my heart. Have fun. Celebrate today. So we're going to take a short break here, and we're going to let you listen to our special guest, Mike Merles. Yes, that guy, the lead designer of Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. He and I had the chance to do a synergy session where we take a pack of Magic the Gathering cards, open it up, and come up with an adventure, an encounter, or a campaign out of it. And then we're going to listen to some uh, very nice things that people have said about us, and then we're going to come back with some rapid-fire questions from uh, some of our fans and listeners. Boop, 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 boop. Hey, welcome to the RPG Academy. We have a hundred of this one episode that we decided to number, but a few hundred of the rest. We're arbitrarily celebrating this one. Thanks! Alright, well for this portion of our 100th faculty meeting episode, we brought in a special guest. Um, you may know him from this game that he's helped create, Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Mr. Mike Merles, welcome to our show. Great, thanks for having me on. Fantastic. I'm very, very excited to get to talk to you in depth. We've actually met a couple times, but I'm sure at conventions you meet hundreds and thousands of people and you don't remember them. Uh, but I've had the pleasure of meeting you a couple times very briefly. Cool. Uh, you're always very gracious, so I appreciate your time okay. then and, and now. Cool. Um, I'm an unabashed D&D fanboy. I, I play a lot of games, but D&D is my favorite, and I think 5th edition is my favorite edition. So cool. thank you very much. Cool. So just in case... There's anybody out there who would listen to the show, which I don't know who that would be, that doesn't know who you are. I'll let you give your official introduction. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so I'm Mike Merles. Uh, I am the uh, senior manager for the uh, design and development team working on Dungeons and Dragons. So I am like I work on the D and D team for D and D, and basically what that means is uh, we work on the game design. So for the role playing game for Dungeons and Dragons itself, we do all the, the rules, mechanics, uh, design, and develop those. 
and we also work on all the, the story elements. So when we come up with our, our annual story arcs, like we have Storm King's Thunder rolling out in September. We create the story, we create the, like the, um, the concept art that we use both in our own products and then things like the WizKids miniatures that they produce under license. Uh, WizKids also has a board game coming out um, based on the storyline. The Neverwinter MMO draws on it to create their new annual content drop. So we're really all about creating not just the role-playing game products, but also creating the big storylines that sort of inform all the d products. See, and, uh, and so what I do in my role, I do some amount of like day-to-day design and writing, but mostly what I do is I coordinate how everything works together. You can kind of think of it as almost like a showrunner, like for, uh, for a TV show, where as all the writers are working and all these projects come together, it's up to me to keep everything on task, make sure it's all working together and it's consistent. And if the stories we create are going to be resonant and interesting, and they're going to help build out D&D. Because um, at the end of the day, one of the things we're really focusing on is the building D&D, growing it, and really making sure anyone who's interested in D&D can, can, can play d whether it's a role-playing game or a video game or, or some other format. Very, very cool. Now, I'm sure you get asked to do a lot of media, podcasts, and others, and I'm sure most of them are very, you know, interviewee you know we're asking like what you're doing what you're working on and all that stuff and that's all really cool but i don't want to do that today i want to make this a little bit different hopefully a little bit special for you as well as for me we're going to do a synergy session and that's something we've done on our show half a dozen or times before and anybody who's not familiar with that essentially we go grab a pack of magic at the gathering cards off the shelves we open it up we pay for it first we open it up and then we just kind of use those cards to try to inspire us to create a, an encounter, an entire adventure, or potentially an entire campaign arc out of it. So I went ahead and I grabbed a pack of cards. I've shared those with Mike. We're both going to go kind of over what we came up with. And again, it can be as little or as much as you want. You can use as many cards as you want or just one or all of them. And you can use the art, the titles, the mechanics, the, the flavor text, whatever strikes your fancy as a way to inspire you uh, to create this. And so what I came up with, well, first let me go through the cards. And I'll just give the names in the show notes. I'll include the names as well. There's lots of ways online you can find the pictures if anyone else would like to look to see what we can, you know what we had to work with. And then, as always, too, if anyone else would like to use the same cards and try to come up with your own, we would love for you to send those in. Uh, so the pack I got was an Eldritch Moon pack, which I think is the newest set that's out. At least that's the one that was most prominent on the shelves when I went there. And I, again, I'm from Kentucky, so I apologize for any uh, accents or pronunciation issues. Uh, so the first one is Graph Rats. Guardian of the Pilgrims, Desperate Century, Wolfkin Bond, Prey Upon, Make Mischief, Otherworldly Outburst, Convolute, Faithbearer Paladin, Don Griff, Insatiable Gorgers, Scour the Laboratory, Prying Questions, Crypt Breaker, and The Land Was a Forest. So I'm actually going to go first here, and I'll give mine, and then Mike, you'll have a chance to go as well. Okay, so for me... I was really drawn to that first card when I opened the pack, the Graph Rats. It just really stood out to me. The art just, I don't know, for some reason it really hit me. It looks like kind of like a graveyard in a dark forest. There's all these rats running around. They got bright red eyes, and some of them have these sort of protrusions or growths coming off of them. And uh, that just really stuck with me. So as I was going through the other cards, that became sort of the overriding theme would be rats for the game that I'm going to run. And so essentially what I came up with is, so the the PCs are going to be heading to a, a very secluded village in a deep, dark forest. 
definitely kind of a horror theme feel to it. And the first thing they're going to encounter when they get to the village is on an out, sort of an outlying farm. There's a young boy, like a preteen, who's just hanging dead rats on the side of like a picket fence. And this came from the De- Desperate Century card. I just really, that was all, another one that really stuck with me. And it's very clear that there's been four or five of these rats that have been hung up and they're oversized. And uh, there's other nails that are now empty, but there's bits of fur and blood streaks that looks like they've obviously had more here before. If they speak to the boy, he'll tell them that just the rats have been acting weird. They're coming into the house. They're just not acting normal. And Pa told him to to hang them up. And then um, he doesn't know where the ones that he hung up the other day went to. Probably a predator in the forest got them or something like that. Once the uh, PCs get into the village proper, they'll see that there are quite a few rats. You know, not a swarm, but more than they probably would have expected to see. They're a little bit more obvious that they're around. They are acting very weird. They're just not acting very rat-like. Uh, you know, it could be they're, they're sitting on their back legs almost like a person would. Uh, they, you know, some of them don't seem to know how to eat properly. They run into walls like they're dazed and, you know, they're uh, uh, confused in a way. Uh, if anybody in the party has the ability to talk to animals, then uh, they're going to find that these rats just don't make sense. It's like talking to uh, a crazy person. They're just, they're incoherent. The words don't make sense if they're even words. Cool. Uh, if they search long enough, they might actually find a rat that doesn't act that way. Uh, but with the intelligence of the rat, all it can really say is that, yeah, some of the some of the rats are acting weird and they don't know how to act like rats. They're not rats, that kind of thing. They start talking to the villagers. Some of the villagers seem normal. Some others seem different, um, shifty, uh, secretive, you know, quote unquote, maybe some rat-like behavior. Uh, after doing some more investigation, they're going to learn that uh, the rat plague or the rat situation started not long after some of the uh, wanderers in the forest, some of the hunters and such, uh, found something. They found like a, a cave uh, or they uncovered, you know, like something buried. And that's where that Crypt Keeper card comes in. So the PCs probably will go to investigate. Uh, they'll find it locked. They'll have to go in. This probably would be a small dungeon delve, you know, three or four rooms, nothing crazy. Uh, but there is an imp inside there, and that's where the mis- Make Mischief card kind of comes in. And it has a MacGuffin that allows it to turn, not turn people into rats, but basically to sort of switch their bodies and or switch their minds, I should say. But it's not a doesn't always work properly. So some, that's why the, the rats that are people and the people that are rats, they don't exactly work right. They're not truly opposite of each other. And uh, I really want the PCs to turn into rats. I just think that would be a fun part of the adventure cool. is for some of it, they aren't plain rats. I, I like that secret of the Nim show and then the you know mouse guard type role playing. So I just think it would be a fun element for the players to play as rats for a little while, have to get back into that crypt and then, you know, recover the MacGuffin and, you know, get their bodies back before they eventually come back to it and uh, have to fight the imp or drive it off in some way. Uh, I also, there's the guarding of the pilgrims. I like the idea of maybe there's like a large albino rat that they can find or that might uh, try to lead them places if they're having trouble finding where they're supposed to go. This is maybe one of uh, the town elders or maybe even like a cleric, like a classed NPC that also got taken by the imp but was better able to control the the transfer of their mind makes more sense. So it could be an ally to them to help them kind of acclimate to what's going on. 
And then obviously there's going to be things in the forest because maybe this imp isn't just playing around with rats. There could be a bear that has the mind of an elk or an elk with the mind of a bear. Uh, so if you want to add some combat into the game, then you can just bring in some sort of, you know, twisted monstrosity that will need to fight the players as well. So that's what I came up with. Um, Mike, I appreciate you agreeing to our reindeer games. Uh, what kind of uh, idea did you come up with? Based on these <laughs> so first of all, I like the idea of, of turning the characters into rats. I think that's, that's a cool, it's a cool, unique twist to give players a nice challenge. The, um, and I kind of had this idea that's a little bit like along the idea of transformation. So some of the cards dealt with the Eldrazi and this idea that they mutate and change things. And so uh, I had this idea for a, it kind of drawing the forest too. This idea that there is an area of the forest that once came under the control of, of a colony of mind flayers who experimented on different creatures and warped them and changed them. And a, a group of druids stopped them, but weren't, weren't able to destroy them. So they instead sealed them inside of what looks like a, like a, a standing stone kind of stonehenge formation. And unfortunately, those bonds are starting to, to decay. And so what begins to happen is the creatures and animals in the area begin to react and so they start to change and transform now the trick is what the players have to figure out is what the actual source is of this corruption it's something i'm thinking that rather than being a straight adventure and this is something i like to do in my campaigns i like to kind of introduce background threats so the players might come to the area and find there's like what look like rabid wolves and what i do is maybe throw in a kind of a red herring or kind of a to add some texture to it that some of the animals are being driven mad because they are in, they're reacting to this intrusion you know, and trying to stop it. And some of them are actually being corrupted and twisted. And so what I would do kind of as a backdrop for a few adventures to build up is have some of these random encounters, these run-ins with creatures gone rampant that then starts to inform and the slow menace building up and let the players kind of dip into it and eventually to figure out that what everyone thought was a sacred grove for the druids was actually a prison. And so one of the things I'd want to have is like this conflict between maybe the Druids who are descendants or, you know, sort of the same order. They've forgotten why this holy place was built. You know, they think, oh, it's a sacred ground. It can't be destroyed. It shouldn't be tampered with. But it's actually the source of the corruption as these this mind player creatures slowly awakening and psionically altering things around it. And so that's kind of the dilemma the players face is they have to, as you know, this sort of background thing builds up. They have to trace what the actual origin is. And then really a lot of the threat is dealing with the Druids, who themselves may have been slowly, their traditions slowly transformed over time by the slumbering silent creature. So then rather than just trying to take them over, it just influenced their memories each generation so that rather than performing rituals and ceremonies to keep the prison intact, they're slowly letting it fall apart. So when this creature, this mind flayer type monster, is finally recovered from its struggle against the Druids, it can come back into the world uh, fully formed. So I always like that kind of background threat. It's something where if my session's, session's kind of going kind of slow or I need a session to kind of fill in between other things, I can dip back into this story. So that's, that, that's I think, the approach I take. No, I really, really like that. Um, one of the things that I try to do in my games is set up moral quandaries where it's not always obvious what the right answer is. And you've done that very well with the Druids who are quote-unquote good guys and they're doing what they think they should do in protecting this place, but they're inadvertently making things worse. Yeah. And, you know, do you just attack the druids? Do you have to trick them, manipulate them? Like, how do you accomplish your goals when the person in the way is a, is a quote unquote another good guy? And then you mentioned earlier when you were kind of describing what you do for your job, you mentioned as a showrunner, 
And then the way you were describing the way that campaign arc would go, it sounds a lot like a serialized TV show yeah. that has an, has an overarching plot, you know, you know, Star Trek or X-Files or some of the newer shows that I don't watch where you have, you know, some episodes are self-contained. They really have very little to do with the overarching story, but there might just be hints or backgrounds or someone mentioned like, yeah, that was weird. This, you know, this happened the other day, but it's just like a throwaway line, but you're continuing to build towards your, your climax. So I really think that's an awesome way to approach the game design and just using the cards again, you know, it was just sort of an overall influence. It wasn't any particular card. It sounded like that really inspired you there. Yeah. And a lot of it is for, for me, when you, when, what I found too is having those kind of a couple stories running in parallel helps because like, for instance, I ran my D and D game last night and I just wasn't super high, high energy, right? Like I could try to like pivot to a really big plot point, but I realized, you know, PAX is coming up this week. I've been really busy. The people I, I my, the, the players, in my group are also all doing stuff at PAX. So it's like, you know what, let's make this a session where we just beat up monsters. So we kind of have, you know, so it's like, I can kind of do like, you know, yeah, like you, like you mentioned, like I should like the X-Files, here's the, a one-off episode this week. You know, and we can just have a couple combats, just fight some stuff. It's not going to be really where I have to have a lot of energies, you know, moment to moment to really bring an NPC to life. You know, it's let the rules do a little bit more of the work. The uh, That's something I've really has, has found is really helped sustain my, my, my campaigns. Well, and, you know, we've talked on our show before as well about, you know, play style compatibility. Some people mm -hmm. just want to role play, talking character, tell good stories, have a laugh. Other people want to use a very, you know, strategic, tactical board game feel where they, you know, using the right tactics or the right combination of abilities wins the day. There's nothing to say that a single group can't change in that back and forth depending on how the group feels. Someday you may want to do a lot of role play with a group that normally likes to kill a lot of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I think it's definitely something that's true. And I think it's something as a dungeon master or game master or whatever system you're running. Uh, it, it, it is, to, it's something that's always, I think, good to keep in mind, you know, because the, um, yeah, I, I found that that's definitely my experience. It's rare that I have a group that just wants one mode of play, unless we're doing like a short arc, like a three session, you know, let's try a new system or a new game or just an adventure we want to run that having that, that that variation, I think, really helps. Very cool. Now, I, I assume you must play a lot of role-playing games uh, with your job and your hobby. Do you get to play a lot, or are you the perpetual DM GM? I am almost always the the, the DM. Okay. Do you enjoy that? Oh yeah. No, I actually I really I like being the DM. The um, I think one of the things I really like about it is it gets me because a lot of what the work I do on obviously on D and D when you're designing rules, it's usually really useful to have that DM's point of view because then you're seeing how the player is influencing the game as a whole. It gives you more of a strategic view of it rather than if I'm playing, I see what one character class can do. And that insight is very useful. But I think when you talk about playtesting and feedback, that is something that I think is more efficient to get just a lot of people playing and giving feedback. Whereas a dungeon master, I can kind of see how everything's fitting together and how it's helping me run my campaign, you know, on a week-by-week -week basis. Like, for instance, I'm doing some work now on the encounter-building guidelines for 5th for edition, kind of reusing the same math. I mean, not change, nothing such a dramatic change as changing the math behind it. But looking at how we can present the encounter-building guidelines so they're easier to use. And that's definitely something where, like, my campaign now is at level 10. It's been useful to see the, the game change with levels. Like, you can look at the numbers and know theoretically here's how things change. But when you actually run the game, it just gives you more of an intuitive sense. Like, okay, here's kind of the interesting breakpoints. Here's when these abilities are coming into play. Here's just how the nature of combat changes, how the characters feel different. 
the uh, and I think again as a dungeon master, it gives you really that sense. And then it, in a lot of ways, when we talk about you know what do we add to the game, it's I just think what's the stuff I want, right? <laughs> like I'm running my, you know, it, what, what would be useful, right? Yeah. And, and that's definitely something which you know kind of came up like oh, okay, the encounter building guidelines. I actually don't use them. You know, it's kind of funny when you think of uh, you know people who created the game. What do we? How do we play? You know. I wasn't using them and I realized, well, I wasn't using them in part because I kind of don't always pay attention to game balance in that sense as a dungeon master. But I also was like, yeah, you know, these rules are a little fiddly. Like, eh, I can just wing it. You always have to remember as an RPG designer, the game master can always wing it. So your rule has to be better, faster, easier, more useful than just making something up. You know, like, right. You know, I kind of have this rule of role playing game design that. If I can solve something through GM advice, I'll always prefer to do that than actually create a mechanic. Because GM advice, like once you learn it, it makes you a better GM no matter which game you're running. And I think as a at least for me as a as a as a you know, someone who plays, you know, role playing games, I like role playing games that make me feel like I'm skilling up. Like my total ability, you know, is going up. Like no matter what game I'm running, I've learned something, a technique or an approach or just a way of thinking. That, you know, if I'm playing Call of Cthulhu, I'm learning how to more effectively run my DB sessions, you know, things like that. If I'm, you know, it, it, it's that ability, that, that concept of this game has, has a context beyond itself, that makes sense. No, it, it does. And, and it's something that I don't want to say struggle, but it's something that we in the podcasty world, uh, at least I know I think about that, you know, I'm talking to an audience. A lot of times it's people who've been with us for a while. So they've heard what I said last week. And they've heard what I said the week before. But if someone brand new listens to our show for the first time, am I giving them advice that will work for someone that doesn't know how to play the game yet? Like they, yeah. they just want to learn to play. So they, they went online, they searched for RPG or D&D podcast. They happen to find ours. Am I speaking to the new person? Am I speaking to the old hand? And it's a balance because you want to be able to speak to both. Yeah. And especially with, with fifth edition, I mean, you guys have been fairly open that it's, it's done very well. It's, it's brought a lot of new people into the game. Oh yeah. You know, just in, popular culture there's been a resurgence i know stranger things everyone's talking about it yep. myself included because i loved it so there's a lot of brand new people coming in and are we serving them our our potential new long-lasting customers or are we just giving content to the people who kind of already know how to do it anyways yeah and they really just want a new monster that they can throw at people yeah no exactly it, it's an important balancing act you know when we think about developing the game a lot of it is also what, what i think is product development like you think of the book and like we have we've been criticized by 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 some players that the campaigns we publish always start at level one, but we know we're willing to accept that criticism because we always we don't know if that's someone's first campaign. You know, we always have to assume this might be the month that someone goes to the store or logs into Amazon or whatever, and they've never played D and D before, and they think, okay, this is the book, it's the new book, I'm going to buy it. You know, we always have to think this might be someone's first book. And it's also part of the reason why we, we haven't done a lot of mechanical expansion in the game. Because, again, from that standpoint of, if you have all these new players coming in, if someone's first book is, say, like something like a player's handbook 2, how does that work out for them? How do they feel about it? How, do, how can you present that in a way that it could be someone's first book without it being overwhelming for it to make sense? You know? Right. And then even questions like, let's say if you're doing some new character classes, why these classes as opposed to other classes you could have done? Why does this make sense to be the thing you're going to add alongside the player's handbook? Is something a class or is it a subclass or an existing class? For a lot of longtime players, you know, the answer can be like, well, that was in third edition or that was in fourth or, oh, that's in Dark Suns. Of course you'd have that. 
But when you don't have that that knowledge to draw upon, it's surprising how confusing things can get. You know, because there's so much of language we're just fluent in. You know, it's like idioms, right? If you were to say, you know, you know, we we have one of our people, you know, a couple of people who are care wizards. Are, you know, they're they're French. They're from France, and they came came over here. We have we have a, an office over in Europe, and so if you use like an American idiom, you know, like oh, you know, oh, we're really up the creek on the you know on this. They don't what like what does that have to do with that? Right? <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. Like we we get the idioms, and so we always have to think: there's there's the audience, the new players coming in, they don't know what that means. So, and in some ways, like they're going to pick it up, but but you don't want to get them discouraged. You know, oh, this just doesn't make any sense, or I don't understand it, or how does this all fit together? And it, it's surprising how those things can come up and how subtle the the barriers can be. You know, we had we we do we we do market research, we do like surveys and stuff. And I remember one time, what was it? I forget the context how we found that we had some either we did, like the marketing came into interviews or something like that. But there were people in the fourth edition era who would go to the bookstore and buy like Player's Handbook 3, thinking that what's well, a player's handbook? This is what I can start with, you know, and not realizing, oh, okay, the rules aren't in here. And it was really interesting seeing like, well, that person trying to make sense of how to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Where, right. you know, Player's Handbook 3 and fourth edition had like the sign of classes and classes and some, I think, uh, that had the hybrid character rules, maybe. I forget if that was a two or three. But to them, like, and you think, <laughs> I would never, of course you'd buy the first player's but to them, it's just like, well, if I go buy Mass Effect 3, I can just start playing. So why would the Player's Handbook 3 be any different? You know, and it's like, right. Hey, you're right. If you're a video game player, starting with number three makes total sense. Like, because that's just, that's just how it works. Like, you know, it's the newest. It's the best. It's the one everyone else is going to be playing right now. Exactly. So so to be part of the conversation. So, and, and again, I don't want this to come across as a, as a criticism, but I know that when D&D 5th edition came out, there was some conversation about why it wasn't one book, because that's kind of a lot of new games are doing that, where the first book, quote-unquote core book, is rules, DM information, and like a small bestiary. Was there any concept of doing that? Because that would kind of solve that problem in a way where you, you this is the book you need yeah. to start. So what we thought, of, and that's that actually was what led to led to us doing the, the basic rules as a free download. Because we thought about, like, okay, well, what if we make this a book that's for sale? And, you know, and maybe you do a soft cover book or you do a black and white, you want to get the price down. low. But the more we thought about it, the more we thought, you know what, this is really something that we want to make that's available for free. We don't even want to give you the option to buy it because we don't want you to buy it. Then go, oh, I could have gotten this for free. Then they'll tell me, oh, I got ripped off. And what we really wanted to start with was, was the starter set. Because the feeling was if you're new to the game and you're, you're going to go buy something. So you have something, you open it up and you want to just start playing as quickly as you can. We wanted you to do exactly that, to start playing D&D as quickly as you could. So that's why that the, the starter set is it's pretty sparse in terms of components. We wanted to keep the price low. We also wanted to make it look as simple as possible, where it's literally open the starter set, hand out the character sheets. The DM starts reading the adventure, which kind of also guides you through the rules. And we kind of imagine an ideal world. You buy it, you open it up. It looks okay. You think it looks kind of cool. The adventure looks fun. It's also the idea that the adventure will be fun to read. Like it's got maps and it talks about this fantasy world. Really tries to get you into the story as quickly as possible. So rather than focusing on game mechanics, it focuses on, oh, there's a green dragon in this ruined city, this ruined village. And here's this town where these bandits have taken over and it's up to the heroes to drive them out. And here's Gundren Rockseeker. And, uh, you know, here's his like the lost mine and fandom and all this stuff to get really fire up your imagination. And you start thinking about fantasy and, oh, I want to run this. And that was our kind of goal there. <laughs> You know, and then we thought, okay, the person who wants to come in and get into the mechanics, 
we really wanted them to go to the basic rules for free because you don't, we didn't really picture people downloading the basic rules and starting to play immediately. We imagine more they download them and start reading. And it would be much more of a solo activity. It's something that you might do in the run-up to playing the starter set or into someone, you know, a friend of yours who already plays D&D and has the core rule books that they're going to run a campaign. Okay, here's where you can start. And so it was really about positioning those things as a group, you know, and seeing how they'd all work together. And I think for us, for D&D, we're in a very different position than a lot of other games because D&D is such a well-known brand. You know, it's, are, it's synonymous with RPGs, right? Yeah. So we could kind of, I think, get away with having that, that basics, basic rule book be an online PDF, knowing a lot of people are going to come into D&D by Googling it, for instance, or like Googling Learn to Play D&D, where if you are introducing a completely new role-playing game, you don't really have that luxury. People aren't going to be Googling about you unless they've already heard about you, which might mean they're already kind of invested in role-playing games or not. So I think that player, it makes more sense to do something like the basic rules as a product. Because I think you're more likely coming into it and like, well, I already know the basics of role-playing. So I want to learn your system and start kind of building my own stuff. And, you know, and maybe you put an adventure in that product, you know, things like that. So it's kind of like, you know, kind of, you know, looking at what makes D&D a bit unique compared to other games and how it all works together. And then you, you do have the three core rule books. So that, that, a lot of it is tradition and players you know, expect it. And, then, you know, that's, that's a benefit and it's a drawback in some way. It's right. There's a drawback because you could just make the argument it's a hundred and fifty dollar buy, right? Yep. To start playing, but in some ways, again, we try to say, well, it isn't really because you have the three basic rules, the twenty dollar starter set, and you could, in theory, you know, just download the basic rules and then go over the DM's guild and essentially download infinite content, you know, enough to keep you going. So we felt comfortable, especially once the DM's guild was in place, that we could sort of have, you know, we could have that that nod to tradition and what people expect. There's also something you said for that really defines Dungeons and Dragons. Like you're really changing the game. Like if you, if you, you know, again, it's a product. So people, it's what makes the game distinct. So kind of saying, you know what, we could treat it as like a weakness, but instead let's treat it as a strength and build the structure around it. So you're not, you know, I love it when I see people online say, I want to get into D&D, where do I start? And I, I'm always happy when people say, oh, here's a link to the basic rules. Yeah. You know, or like go buy the starter set. You know, and then if you like it and you're having fun, and this was actually by design, the idea being, and we didn't come out and say it because we kind of think, you know, people will figure this out. You know, if you start with the player's handbook, I want to make my own characters. We're playing this, the starter set adventure. It's fun, but it'd be fun to make my own character. So you buy the player's handbook. As a dungeon master, okay, I'm getting close to the end of the adventure. I want to buy the monster manual because now it gives me more monsters to use, but I have the adventure creation guidelines in, in the basic game. You know, it's enough for me to get started. And then now I want to start creating my own campaign setting. Now I want to go get the Dungeon Master's Guide. You know, so we had this idea of like sort of gating people through the content in the sort of typical path of, of, of how we'd expect them to work. But yeah, it's definitely something we've thought about a lot. And it's, it has been, you know, it's always something where you can say, oh, yeah, well, there's new players coming in, so it's working. But I think I always like to think, well, but we could always improve, right? We always have to keep right. an eye on how things are, are playing out. Yeah, you want to judge yourself, you know, in any sort of retail space, which at the end of the day, that's what D&D is. It is a product that you guys, you know, you're graded on how well it does on how you did last year and the year before, but you never really know what your ceiling is. Exactly. You know, we raised 10%. That's great. But could it have been 30? We, you know, we really don't know unless we try and, you know, you kind of do those types of things. 
All right. Well, I, and again, I don't want to get too much into just a straight interview because I kind of I don't want to necessarily put you on the spot like that. Oh, but I do have I, I have two questions. I feel like I have to answer or I will get hissed and booed. <laughs> PDF support for products. A lot of other companies have done this already. I know there's a huge outpouring. You know, if I buy the player's handbook, can I get a legal copy of the PDF to go with it? Is there any talks about doing that? Because I think that's something that would be very valuable. Yeah, we've thought about it. And part of it is we, um, we've we also looked at doing apps. Like we we, uh, we we know for fourth edition, we had the character builder, which was very popular. It was great until it went to the cloud version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, and so part of it is weighing, and, and that's something which we work with partners on. So the PDF versus an app thing is essentially something which we still haven't really resolved. The, I, obviously, I can't talk about future plans or stuff that we might be working on. But for us, moving to PDF, there's a couple things that would have to happen first for us to really settle on what digital support looks like before we can really clearly answer where we want to go with PDFs. We know a lot of people use them. But also part of it, too, for us is looking at saying, you know, we, we know a lot of people have smartphones at the table. They have tablets. And thinking, is that is PDF necessarily the best format for that? I know, for instance, like, you know, if I, if I actually grab the, you know, we have PDFs in the books here, obviously. Um, print the books, we have access to them. <laughs> and, you know, I find sometimes in my, my iPad can really chug. If I'm trying to look through, if I'm reviewing a manuscript that's fully laid out, it can have trouble because it is very graphics heavy. You know, uh, the core books are meant to be really nice to look at. And, and the books we've done since then, obviously. A lot of art, a lot of tables. So there's questions about what do we want to do with layout? If we do an ebook, should it look different? Should it look the same? Can we add functionality? So I think for us, the we don't have an answer yet because we're looking at, at a few other things and we want to have an ecosystem that fits together. And I know it can be frustrating at times because I think I'm sure people like just release the damn PDFs, right? <laughs> you have them, you just told me you have them, why can't I buy them? But we are really trying to take things slowly because we do feel like one of the things we learned from launching fifth edition was we took a few years to develop it, which not as fast as people maybe wanted, but in the long term, we're making decisions that we, we need to be able to live with five years from now. Sure. So yeah, it's something something we've looked at, but we want to make sure that we're making decisions that make sense in terms of the entire, you know, digital ecosystem that, you know, that people are using devices, platforms, things like that. The, um, so, yeah, I can't, can't comment exactly, you know, because we don't have anything to announce, but it's definitely something we've talked about, and it's something we've thought about. And, you know, the I think it really depends on how a few things come together and how that those puzzle pieces all fit together in terms of ebooks, digital, and all that. Okay, so I, th- I think I would condense that down to you're aware of the fact that people want it, and it's an option you're looking at, but there's more pieces in place that – you guys have to work through before you can make a decision. That's an excellent summary. <laughs> Better than I could have <laughs> Well, usually, usually I'm the one getting summarized. So uh, when is the Eberron setting coming out? Uh, <laughs> you know, there is, uh, that's another really good question. So we actually have had a, a broader discussion about, about the other worlds. And it's definitely something we want to do. Like, I think we, it's, I think, make no mistake, every setting has fans here. There's uh, John File, who's one of our, he's, um, he manages the the digital team portion of Dungeons and Dragons. He's running a spell jammer campaign here in the office. So the I've always been a big Greyhawk fan, and I, I've I've run and played in Eberron campaigns. So one of the things that's it's a it's a good problem to have that we're facing right now. We think about future settings. We have a lot of new players coming, lots of new people coming in. Uh, audience is getting bigger. People are really excited, and in some ways you, you can think of it as like it's a cart that's rolling forward. It's got a really good speed. 
but it's got a lot of momentum and you know we're controlling it but we're always a little worried that maybe the next turn is gonna be a little too sharp and we're gonna go flying <laughs> off the rails right so we're always worried <laughs> so sure. one of the things we're being a bit cautious kind of like the pdf answer i gave we're being a bit cautious in, in rushing to do too many settings because what we don't want to do is fall into the trap that hurt tsr of having there's all these settings it can confuse new players you know it, it can cannibalize the audience so what we want to be able to do is have a strategy in place where the campaign settings can live in harmony. Where if you're a fan of a setting, you're getting enough support, you feel like, okay, I'm running my campaign, I don't feel like I'm being abandoned. But it's also not the point where they're competing with each other or they're crowding each other out. Or, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the person who, hey, I've never played D&D before, I walk into my game store, there's the new book, that's the one I should buy. And so you don't have like that player's handbook three experience of it's just frustrating. Like this makes no sense. Like what mean like the third, the newest one is the one I'm not supposed to buy. That doesn't make any, if I, you know, if I go to you know GameStop, of course I buy the newest game, right? That's, you know, or the newest in the series, the newest, newest Call of Duties out. That's the one I buy. That's one of those one. So right. for us, the challenge is how do you make that work together in a way that things harmonize? And I think for us, a lot of it comes down to really looking at how to make the settings very distinct. So the person going into the store can see, oh, these are really different. I, oh, here's Dungeons and Dragons. That's what I want to start with. Oh, here's Eberron. What's Eberron? Like, you kind of almost want them to have that first question. Like, almost not realize it's D&D. Like, that's probably overselling it. But for that new player to have that initial reaction of, I'm not sure what that Eberron thing is. I'm here to buy Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm going to buy that player <laughs> right. set. I'm going to buy that starter set. And then once they're initiated, they go, oh, okay, Eberron. Oh, cool. It's like this kind of film noir, pulp adventure. Okay, cool. I want to check that out. But you don't right. want them to, you know, you, the worry is always, what if they start there? Does it just get really confusing? You know, oh, I still need a player's handbook. I spent 50 bucks on this book and I don't actually have everything I need. And, you know, so on and so forth. No, completely yeah. get that. So for someone who has no marketing background, I'm going I'm to fix both your problems. You write adventures, set single, like single uh, session adventures in each of those settings and release them in PDF form. <laughs> so then I get to play an Eberron and I go, wow, this is cool. In this game, I get to play Warforged. Yeah. And then there's this little thing <laughs> in the back that says, hey, uh, if you liked this game, the optional rules came from the Eberron setting. Yeah. And then there you go. No, and actually, that, that is actually a good point. Because you think about you use Warforged as the example. That's kind of thing we think about, okay, we really want to put front and center, put the things that are different and unique front and center. It's just a matter of, the timing and how everything coordinates like, oh, okay, this feels organic. It's, and then you, you like, I think what, what hurt TSR was they would do the thing that was cool for like that quarter or that year. And it works until like you're three or four years in. And then you're like, Oh, how do we manage this all now? Like cause everything's just kind of building on top of each other. Ideally what we're doing is they're parallel paths and it's clear to everyone that they're parallel. And it's clear that, they're almost like different genres or different types of games. It's a difference between, say, if you think, oh, I want to buy a fantasy video game. Well, do you want to play a Legend of Zelda game? Do you want to play uh, an Elder Scrolls game? Do you want to play a Dark Souls game? Like, they're all very different. Right. But actually, it's kind of, oh, okay, I get it. One is more puzzle-based, and it's like, you know, and one's more, you know, exploration-based, and one's more combat-based. And then you can kind of get it. So I think for us, it's taking all, and the trick is, you really have to take all the settings at once and do that exercise because you don't want to decide, okay, Eberron is our Alex makes let's say we made it. Let's say we make a really bad decision. Oh, it's the low fantasy setting, which makes no sense. But let's say we did that. And then we say, okay, now next year we want to do like Greyhawk. Oh, what's Greyhawk now going to be? Because here's Eberron. Like, you know, you really have to like tackle them all at once yeah. and then start releasing them. So, but yeah, I, I think it's actually fun because I think Eberron would work very well with the edition. I do, do as well. And Eberron is my favorite 
setting. It's always been my favorite since it came out. So I'm at least one voice in the darkness telling you, please, please, yeah. Eberron. We've got, and I might actually have a concept for the, and we released a playtest artificer that was a subclass of the wizard that went over like a lead balloon. No one liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think at the end, like, I, I think I designed it and after a month, I'm like, yeah, I, I, even I don't like it. So I don't like it. That's why. The, um, but definitely I've been thinking about the artificer character class and how that might work in fifth. And we have some, I think some pretty nifty ideas for it. So. Very, very cool. Well, again, thank you very much for your time. I'll let you go here pretty quickly, but a couple of just last wrap-up questions. Um, sure. So this will not come out until after PAX. So give us some fake spoilers for what we're going to see at PAX. Or, <laughs> we, or what we saw at PAX, I guess. What we saw at PAX. Okay, so finally we showed you the uh, the player's handbook that has the spells that really work. <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, someone cast Fireball, and so we're still uh, looking at the lawsuits uh, and hoping those get sorted out. Oh, awkward. The um, the next printing of the Monster Manual, uh, we regret to say that the Beholders have gone on strike. Uh, someone told them how much the mine players were getting paid, and so now there's a pretty been, pretty serious contract dispute. So <laughs> unfortunately, Beholders they will not. And if you it is a Beholder in a published adventure, please refrain from using it. Uh, we just have to do that because they are not working. And then finally, from the the Dungeon Master's Guide, um, let's see. We're gonna uh, the, the the big change there that we announced is that the um, we're changing the default setting to the world of My Little Pony uh, to help, <laughs> you know, make more consistent with Hasbro's overall initiatives. So all the examples will be drawn from that, that property. Well, those, those are some bold initiatives, but I think they're going to work out well in the long run for you. In the long run, yeah. Well, I'm talking about strategy, yeah, long-term thinking. Right? <laughs> it might make more sense now, but give me a year and it'll all fit together. All right, fantastic. Well, we'll let you out with this last question. This is going to be controversial. Oh? Do you fudge roles as a DM? Yes, I totally do. Because this is, and this is why. It, for me, it's, it's actually a philosophical thing. Perfect. It's a person. The entire strength of the Dungeon Masters is a person, not, and not a computer. And so do I fudge roles a lot? No, but I will do them once in a while because as the person, human being running this game, I know sometimes, you know what? If the die bounces this way, it's going to be really cool. And so I don't do it often. And I don't make a big deal. I don't tell the players necessarily what's happening. Sure, but I think that's a defining difference between a tabletop role-playing game and a video game, you know, like Skyrim. Is that Skyrim is just merciless, or like you know, uh, Elder, you know, or uh, Dark Souls, right? That's what happens. That's what the rules say. But a role-playing game, I think half of the game is, is is the performance. It's the dungeon master presenting the world, sculpting the experience, the players portraying their characters. But I think it's you know, it's interesting. You know, we you know, we did the. Uh, the, you know, the thing with the magic cards, talking about our, our adventures, we both had stories that had like a, a social conflict, right? That there's interaction there. And we did a, a seminar at Origins this year on designing dungeons. And even in designing dungeons, all the every example, I thought it was funny, I was talking to Chris Perkins about this. At the end of the seminar, every example dungeon room, like we had people create sample rooms, all of them involved role playing. And I think that's because people, you know, in a, you could easily argue in a world with World of Warcraft and all these video games, why would people play tabletop role you know, what, people are still playing those. In, in fact, more people are playing them now than probably have ever. You know, uh, when you think you know, all the people start in the 80s are still playing, and then more people turn sure. it on. It's actually growth. It's because of that human element. And whether people want it or not, I think people, I people, I think people like budging. Like players who are at the table, maybe not people in online forums or on Reddit or on Twitter or Facebook. They might complain, breaking the rules. But I think most people who play role playing games kind of intuitively understand the rules are just guidelines. They're there when the dungeon master, or the players don't want to improvise or really create something. They let you fill those spaces. Yeah. So yeah, I, I am 100. I think fudging rolls is totally cool. I think it's just part of the game. 
I, I completely agree. I actually, I was in a Facebook conversation today, uh, and that's basically my argument is that I don't do it very often, but every now and then I think it's the right call. It's a, it's a tool in the toolbox. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean I'm going to use it every job, but sometimes it's the right tool for the job. And sometimes it, it protects me because if I mess up, like if I'm, I just did bad encounter design and if yep. that role goes that way, I'm going to wipe out the whole party and we just started. It's, you know, and I don't want to have everybody pack up and go home. Sure, I'll fudge that role. I'll make a mental note. Okay, I need to get better at encounter design, but I'm not going to ruin tonight's session by a flip of the die. So I 100% agree with you. Glad to hear that you confirmed my already bias. Uh, so that's great. <laughs> awesome. So any last things from you? Anything else you want to talk about or plug before we go? No, so we got um, Storm King's Thunder coming out, and we're really excited about it. Uh, Chris Perkins, the team, did a great job with it. Uh, it's it's sort of our our love letter to Against the Giants and kind of a, hopefully a fresh new take on it. People appreciate it. And then we got Volo's Guide to Monsters coming out in November. Uh, I'm really excited about that book because uh, I love monsters. And <laughs> we've, we've done a lot there uh, to really add to, to monster cultures. You know, talking about like mind flayers. Why do mind flayers act the way they are? What's their history? What are their beliefs? For me, a lot of it is goes back to like, you know, what I talked about earlier was giving dungeon masters more room for role playing. So you're not just fighting the monsters. You, know, you're, you might have a conflict with them, but it doesn't necessarily have to be physical. It doesn't have to be combat. You know, it's just like, you know, these creatures more making them more hopefully three dimensional. Right. So, and then lots of cool new critters that just want to eat adventurers. Like that's, you know, <laughs> a lot, plenty of monsters too. A so. little bit for everybody, right? Exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Mike, thank you once again for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for what you guys have done with the fifth edition. Again, I, I love D and D and I love fifth edition. I think it's the best edition. Um, that's my favorite. I'll, I'll say it that way. It's my favorite of all the editions. It brings back what I love from the old ones, uh, with some cleaned up mechanics. I think it works brilliantly and I hope that you will continue to have success and we will continue to see more things like settings, Eperon coming out sometime in the near future. <laughs> Cool. Well, awesome. thanks for having me, having me on the show, and thanks for taking the time to put together the show and help you know build the overall knowledge of RPGs and share your insights. We appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know how well we do, but I appreciate that anyways. Hey, it's the happy. It's, it's just getting out there is what counts. That's cool. Awesome. All right. Thank you, sir, and you have a good night. Cool. You too, man. Take it easy. All right, and uh, we're going to get into a bit of a Q&A session here, thanks to some of our listeners and fans who sent us some questions. Um, so I'll start with you, Caleb. What is your favorite mechanic across any of the systems you've ever played? I think my favorite mechanic is, and this might be a little bit of a cheap answer, but all of the mechanics in Shadowrun. <laughs> the way you build a dice pool and roll for successes, and the way you're comparing successes to a target and translating those successes into bonuses, I think that is, while Shadowrun is a very meaty system and super, super crunchy, I really like that way of approaching the game. So that's one of my favorites. What about you? You know, again, this is going to, what have you done for me lately situation, but I think advantage disadvantage in fifth edition is one of the most elegant game mechanics I've ever played with it. it if you want that type of game, and that's the thing is if, if you're heavy into crunch, then probably it's not, it's desirable, but for the type of game I like to run, it is so simple. It's universally applicable. Hey, you have an advantage here. You did this thing, whether it be role-playing or tactics or strategy or just whatever. It's easier for you to do the thing you're trying to do. Go ahead and roll two 20s. Oh, nope, you're kind of in a bad situation. Go ahead and roll two and take the worst one. I think it just it is such an amazing and elegant 
mechanical addition. I love it. Runner-up would be just Dread as a whole game, because I love the whole Dread thing where you pull a brick if you need to do something, because I, th- I love the, the Dread game. Well, okay then. Congratulations on your 100th episode. Jim McClure here from Talking Tabletop, and I want to send out a big, huge congratulations to Michael and Caleb for their 100th episode of Table Topics. You guys are absolutely amazing. You are, you are shining stars within the hobby. May you have another 100 episodes of amazing shows, amazing content, and bringing us some wonderful insights into the hobby. The RPG Academy Network is an amazing place where people can find a vast, vast amount of information about tabletop RPGs, from entertainment to information to advice to just feel-good moments. The the RPG Academy has it all, and, and I think it's a testament to the intelligence of Michael for kicking out my wonderful show and bringing in Fear the Boot to replace me. Thanks, Michael. I won't forget it. Next question. Describe our show as a D&D monster. Am I a monster describing our show, or am <laughs> I finding a monster that fits our show? You know, the way it's written, it, it's, I think it's written as if you describe the show as if you were a monster, but I think what, what we're supposed to do is describe the show as if it were a monster. But I'll take either. Owlbear. <laughs> Because <laughs> it oh, makes no sense. Oh, it makes no sense, and it's a weird mismatch of stuff. Or a chimera. Chimera also works. <laughs> I'm gonna say Etten. Because <laughs> it's a two-headed monstrosity and constantly arguing with each other. Yep. I'm good with both. I'm good with that. <laughs> Fantastic. Hi, this is Kenna and Rich from the Going Last Tabletop Gaming Podcast. And we just wanted to stop in and say congratulations to the RPG Academy on their 100th episode of Table Topics. The RPG Academy is great. They represent how inclusive and supportive the gaming culture can and should be. And we're looking forward to 100 more episodes of Pencil and Paper Adventures. Plus some actual plays with us. Yeah, that's a great idea. Get us in there. (laughs) Congratulations, you guys. Next question. Next question. Describe yourself as a D&D character. Any addition. Man. See, this is this is this is like all those weird surveys and memes that that you do. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you exactly. be? Exactly. And this is the kind of thing that was really popular in the like late 90s, early 2000s when we were all getting into gaming at least in my group. Uh but we didn't have the internet. It was just weird things we were doing. The the debate with this kind of thing is who who do I think I am in the if I translated me in the real world into a game if I just translate who I am in the real world but put it into a D and D fantasy game I'm just a fucking commoner doing jack on the side of the road because I'm pointless and worthless and no one cares about me you're a money lender Ugh, let's not talk about that I think it would make the most sense to be a bard. Jack of all, master of none kind of thing. I think ideally, though, I would be a warlock. Because I, I think that concept of making a deal to get power to accomplish what I need to do 
and dealing with the consequences as they develop, that theme has been very near and dear to my heart recently. So I, I might lay, lean that way. For myself, my first inclination was Bard because I feel like um, I, I want to be someone who inspires others and is sort of a you know quick-witted, a good joke, someone you want to have around entertaining to play with. But I think in reality, I'm a wizard in that I bend the realities of the world to my will through effort. Just like the fact that the, the guy who used to mumble and, you know, was um, hesitant to talk in front of people now has a podcast with thousands of listeners. And I have a network of people who want to be a part of what we're doing. I have I have gotten friends from the fact that I do this thing. I feel like I, that is some reality warping ability right there. Okay, I'll buy it. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Recording podcast by moonlight. Running networks by daylight. Never infringing on a copyright. They are the, the RPG Academy. Academy. Happy, Happy 100 from, from Emily, Emily and Senda. Senda. Oh, she's, she's a super, a super geek. geek. Yay! Yay! Next question. Okay, what do you cook the best? Pasta, macaroni and cheese specifically. <laughs> I cook a pretty damn good steak. I have to say, mm. I, I I really enjoy steak, and I I'm pretty mean uh, when it comes to growing a good steak. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an NPC cast shout out. I'm just kidding. This is NPC Chris from the NPC cast, and I want to wish Michael and Caleb a very happy 100th Table Topics episode. You guys are like the podcast brothers from another mother's, and I really appreciate the show that you guys put on and the community that you have put together. Congratulations. Here's to another 100. All right. Next question. <laughs> okay. Uh, what would you say is your most embarrassing character concept? I don't know if I have a good answer for this one because I like all my characters too much. That's fine. I mean, if you if you don't have a good one or one's top of the mind. I'm going to go with my Jamaican dude from Dragon Moon. <laughs> In fairness, I had decided that I wanted to try to start doing accents. And I knew I know I'm not good at them. I'm still not good at them. But I wanted to try. And I wanted to put myself in a position where I would have to do it a lot as a way to try to get better. Like My intentions were pure. But then, as we know, I'm terrible at accents. I'm not very good at Jamaican accents either. And then it just became sort of a running joke. And I... I I mean, I don't think, I really don't think, I hope not, that it, it bordered like game like racist, but it was certainly a hackneyed attempt at humor because since I couldn't do a good accent, I defaulted to just doing the goofy part and getting a laugh from it, uh, which is one of the reasons when that game didn't go for a while, I actually was like, okay, let's just don't do that anymore because I really just didn't want to continue doing that character. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so what are we recording? Something about uh, a catacomb 2016 from the RPG Alchemy. Ugh, yeah, we gotta get that sweet, sweet podcasting money. Crap, I think we're live. Oh, uh, hey guys, Shane and Ishan here from the Total Party Thrill podcast. We just wanted to stop in and say congratulations on 100 episodes. And thank you for asking us to record this bumper, which has officially tripled our audience. More like heptupled. Alright, let's not get bogged down in the details. To Michael, Caleb, and all the RPG Academy faculty, 
Congratulations on reaching your 100th episode. And here's to 100 more from your friends at Total Party Thrill. Next question. Which character from one of our one-shot adventures are you most sad that you had to abandon and did not get to continue to play? The only character that comes to mind is my character from the L5R games, mostly because my version of him when I was first figuring out who he was was a little bit different than how he existed on paper and in the games. And I would have liked to get a chance to develop him into the character I saw him as. A couple come to mind. One is the one we did from the recent uh, Symborum trial, because I just really liked that that setting, the ambiance, the atmosphere of that game. And I think the character I had could have could have grown into something. But I'm actually going to say um, the character I played in the Star Wars campaign, which ran for like seven or eight sessions or seven or eight episodes, and then we kind of stopped. We continued for a while, but they didn't get released uh, because we ended at some point we had seven players and the audio was just terrible. But when I first started that character, he was unable to lie. He had no inner monologue and he basically said everything out loud. And then partway through, I got uh, I got knocked unconscious and I used Gilligan's Island logic that now I could only lie. And some of my absolute favorite role-playing moments came from games that no one has ever heard where my character had the lie, but I had to make it make sense for the situation that we were in. And there was a, a character, an NPC that was added that no one liked. And I kept saying, yeah, I'm glad you're here. You're a valuable member of our team. I hope nothing bad ever happens to you. And I would say this over and over again. And at one point, one of the other characters who I also didn't care for, there were some bounty hunters that had come to take him. And we were on the comms going back and forth. And they're like, we're here for this guy. I'm like, you can't have him. And uh, obviously, I was actually saying, fine. But it just I, I love the challenge of trying to come up with a lie that made sense in the moment and was funny. Uh, and I'm really sad that some of those moments will never be heard because I thought they were pretty good. Hey, uh, this is Karel. And this is A1. Uh, we're from the Redemption Podcast. Uh, sorry, it's a little noisy here. We're kind of in the middle of something. Uh, not my fault. Well, no, Kale didn't pay the man like he usually does. So uh, we just wanted to wish you guys a happy 100th episode. 100. Yay. And hope you have many more. A1, duck! Alrighty, next question. Uh, when will the Southern Campus open, and when will there be a Southern Acaticon? That's not what we're doing now. I'm thinking this is like Florida, Georgia, Texas area, not uh, I'm, South. I'm not going to any of those states, ever. All right, never. Sorry, James. Hey, this is Dungeon Master Chris from the Dungeon Master's Block podcast. And this is Dungeon Master Mitch from the same exact podcast. <laughs> and we just wanted to drop a little line here and say congratulations to the RPG Academy on their 100th episode. That's awesome, guys. We're so happy that you are a part of this community and that you have inspired generations potentially in the future of GMs around the world. Seriously, and you guys, I shared it when you, Michael, you came on the show, and when Caleb, you came on the show, but man, you guys were an inspiration to us as starting a podcast, so keep on going strong, 100 episodes, that is fantastic, you guys are awesome, you guys rock. So yeah, like Mitch said, you guys are awesome, you guys rock, keep up the hard work, and keep on podcasting, the world would be a less happy place if you were not a part of it. So thanks so much for what you've done. 
and keep on dungeon mastering. Nice. I see what you did there. <laughs> All righty. Next question. Have we ever considered sharing our character sheets from any of our past or current games? They're all in a folder in my closet. You want them? <laughs> They're garbage. Uh, yes, but again, it goes back to the planning stages of having to make those electronically available. And I know that's not hard, but it's just one more thing. Plus, I probably did them wrong and someone's going to call me out because I have a plus two when I should have a plus three or I have a plus four when it should be a plus one. Eh, so, you know. I have every character sheet I've ever written. I'll scan them, sure. Like I said, they're garbage. Hi, I'm Andrew Young, also known as That One GM. Thanks for listening to the 100th episode of Table Topics. You know, when I first started listening to the RPG Academy's podcasts, I remember thinking, Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? It's me, Professor Rex, calling you from beyond the void of the space-time continuum. If you're listening to this Right now, that I have a message for you! The multiverse, most cosmology-verse, is in grave peril, and only you can save it! You've got to do two things! First of all, keep listening to the RPG Academy, and second of all, and this is important, you And believe me, it was worth it. So again, keep listening to the RPG Academy, and enjoy this 100th episode of Table Topics. This is Associate Professor Andrew Young, Signing off. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is the best cliffhanger and or twist that you or a DM you played for has pulled off during a session? I think I have to give it to you on this one in our 13th age game. The whole you killed him, lich, uh, dragon, heart transplant? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with that because I'm still a little traumatized. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. From my standpoint, is is this going to come out after the next Rot Iron? I don't know. Is it? When is the next Rot Iron coming out? I don't know. When is it? <laughs> I was going to ask you. It, it could be this Thursday if you want it to. Okay. I'm going to say Tilly dying in Rot Iron. Oh. Because if you go back and listen to those episodes... Uh, particularly episode 13. Despite the fact that we're trying to roleplay like we were chasing after Tilly, Dane and I, or Scott and I, are continuing to joke, and there's like a whole thing about the bridge, and I'm going to throw him. And there was a very lightheartedness to the game that when we found Tilly and she was dead, it was just devastating. And And I'll be honest, I was angry. Like, right after that game, we were all very quiet, there wasn't a lot of conversation, and we all sort of like, all right, see you later. And I was actually angry about that when that happened. I feel very bad about that event. However, I think it was very much what I wanted to happen in this game. Because one of my goals for Rod Iron was a drastic tonal shift. Then bravo, sir. Bravo. It just so happened that this is what brought that about. Yeah, and I think that was the that was the thing that made me have the emotional reaction. It wasn't that an NPC died. I mean, God knows how many I've killed in my day, but that from the way we were playing the game, it was always sort of lighthearted and jokey and fun, and it didn't feel like we were in a world where those types of consequences were on the table, and then suddenly they were. And I think 
for a show that doesn't often t- tackle weighty topics, that's how death works. You don't expect it. It just happens most of the time. I mean, it's not, I mean, I'm, there's examples of people being sick for a while, but you know, you're just, you're living your life and then tragedy happens. And even though we're in a fantasy world and we're adventurers, that's what that felt like. And there was some real emotion at the table because it seemed so out of place. Hey, it's Jared. Congratulations on your hundredth episode. All this time and you've only scared away one host. I'm impressed. All joking aside, though, I can attest to the amount of work each of you put into this and all for the love of the game. It's been a fun ride and I look forward to the road ahead. I am truly proud of both of you and also proud to be a part of this ongoing adventure that is the RPG Academy. And on that very serious note, next question! So with the constant needs for more GMs, what do you think is your best pitch or how do you compel a player to step up and take the reins so that we can grow the DM bench. I think that my best pitch revolves around the ability to help direct the story, not just be part of it. I was going to say tell the story, but that's not really the case. I think as a GM, you are the director. You are the... Editor. The person who organizes... The editor, sure, sure. You're the person who organizes... The story. You're all telling the story together. You just massage it and point it to where it's supposed to go and, and clean up some of the rough edges. So I think that is the best way to persuade someone. Don't just participate in creating the story, but take a role of leadership of directing that story so that it evolves into the best possible story it can be. What about you? Kind of goes back to our motto, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Running games is fun. It's not as hard as you think it is. Uh, yes, you can get better. At, you know, It's a lot like chess. You can learn to run a game very quickly. You will continue to get better at it maybe for as long as you do it. You will constantly improve. But it's not that hard, and it's a lot of fun. So, you know, you should at least try it. And your players are there to have fun. And as long as you just sort of stay out of their way, they will. So you, the, the amount that you have to do is very minimal to get a positive reaction. Yes, you can do a lot more in-depth things and take a lot more time if you're able to do that. But with very little prep, with very little preparation, or yeah, with very little preparation, you can run a short, fun game just by saying, hey, you're walking down the road and some goblins attack. And then just kind of let the players do their thing and just sort of keep reacting to them. And then over time, you'll get better at it. So uh, it's fun. It's not that hard. You should try it. This is Lucas from City of Brass, stopping by to say congratulations to Michael and Caleb for their 100th Table Topics episode. All right, next question. Next question. What are some of the implications of a player playing an unorthodox class-race-ability combo? Well, it depends on how far you want to go. It could have implications on the story of the game world. An unorthodox combination could imply more situations like that exist, or they exist for a certain reason, or no one else exists for a different reason. But on a very simple level, it just means probably they want to do something interesting or fun. It could also mean they're grinding for a little bit of a min-max bonus. But ultimately, who cares? 
do what you want and have fun. Well, I kind of take sort of somewhat of an opposite approach about the min-max. Because to me, playing an unorthodox combination is means that you're not doing what is beneficial. So you're playing the gnome barbarian. You're playing the dwarf rogue. You're playing the half-orc wizard. You're playing a combination that doesn't have a lot of synergy built in between ability modifiers and class requirements. So the only reason you would do that, in my mind, is for fun of role-playing. So the only implications, if you're playing at a table that is a lot of strategy or a lot of uh, tactical combat where not being proficient in combat skills is going to be a detriment to the rest of the party, then maybe you shouldn't do it. At my table, I would want to do that. I would want you to do that. But I don't run games that are highly strategic or tactical combat. I run very little combat unless there's ninjas on the roof. So the fact that... the roof ninjas. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Well, where else would they be? In the fucking shadows, not on the goddamn roof. (laughs) Well, it was dark. It was nighttime. So yeah, so if you're in the type of game where that's, you know, going to be looked down upon, then maybe that's not the right group for that. If you're playing a group that will enjoy your role playing, then uh, go for it. Hello, this is Valerie, wife of the RPG Academy host, Michael. And when I heard Michael and Caleb were going to record their 100th episode, I just thought, wait, what? Don't you mean your 1,000th episode? Because Michael puts so much time and energy and hard work into this podcast that it definitely feels like 1,000 episodes. Michael and Caleb, I know little to nothing about the RPG world, but I do know how much hard work you guys put in. Congratulations on your 100th episode. Keep playing hard, and I'll be back to congratulate you for your thousandth episode and complain that it feels like a million episodes. Hey, what's up? This is Evan, and I just wanted to say congratulations to Michael and all the guys at the RPG Academy on your 100th episode. You guys have turned a small, fun idea into something incredible that I know is helping a lot of people and building a great community, and that's what it's all about. We started with this idea of if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And I think that's the best advice that you can give for gaming and a lot of other things in life. I really had a ton of fun making those first episodes of Dungeon Talk, and I hope you guys continue to do the same. So you can't see me, but I'm toasting you right now, and I wish you the very best for another 100 episodes. And on behalf of Zane and all the crew, I will see you at Bacon Strips. Okay, so that is the last of the questions that we uh, we had sent in that we're going to tackle today. Is there any last thing that you want to say, Caleb, before we wrap up our 100th faculty meeting episode? Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, to you, Michael, to everyone in the network, to all of our listeners, I would not be doing this if you hadn't invited me. I guess that, I guess that was more specific to you, not to everyone else. So... <laughs> That was a little bit of a grammatic uncertainty, so I apologize for that. So let's fix that. So, Michael, thank you for making me do this. And to everyone else, thank you for listening so that I have something to do. You know what, Caleb? You're welcome, man. I have so much fun doing this, and I think you have brought a perspective to the show that, despite what Evan and I were trying to do, changed the change the show for the better. And I think that um, 
not just like me wanting to be more professional, but your actual professionalism has been a welcome addition. And I am thankful that you have become my co-host. And even though I will probably send you 12 tweets this morning at two o'clock about something crazy that I just thought of, I hope that I don't drive you crazy and drive you away because the show would be lesser without you as a part of it. And the only way to follow that up is with a dick joke because that was way too serious. So <laughs> boner town. Yay. Yeah. So boner town, I think is the perfect send off for this uh, episode. <laughs> oh, but we have to do our reviews. We have to go from oh. boner town to reviews. So we're going we're gonna to take the boner town express into review, <laughs> into review station and read some of our newest five-star iTunes reviews. We also have one from Stitcher. Uh, so, again, thank you guys all for, for writing those in. We do really appreciate them. And if you haven't done one yet, maybe wait till the next episode because I don't know that this one's going to inspire you quite the way we wanted. Hey, if Boner Town didn't inspire you to write a five-star <laughs> review, I don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> awesome. All right, so I will turn over the review reading to the dulcet tones of the Caleb G., Caleb, what do you have for us today? All righty. So I've got quite a few here to catch up on. Uh, we are going to start here with a review titled Long Overdue Review by Thrift Gamer Brad. Excellent podcast with a great cast of role players. This feed provides a perfect range of shows for anyone interested in RPGs. Insightful advice and interviews and compelling actual plays. Each episode will leave you wanting to click on the next one. Thank you, Thrift Gamer Brad. Yes, thank you very much, Brad. I appreciate that. Next review is titled Best Period RPG Podcast Period Period. But there's no period after that last period, which is actually spelled out. So it's a visual gag in an audio medium, which doesn't really work. Uh, so this was written by Legolau. Legolau, you need to understand that this is a visual gag for an audio reading. You got to get your, your joke work a little bit better. So I expect another review with better audio jokes. You need to workshop that a little bit. You need to workshop that, yeah. Uh, send it around a little bit. Hit the forums. Uh, hit the Facebook. Let, let's, let's get this going. But anyway, Legolau writes, The RPG Academy is the best RPG discussion, advice, and actual play podcast out there. Their content is superb and is only matched by the quality of their audio. The actual plays are very well done with engaging storylines and excellent players. Michael and Caleb have honed their craft to near perfection. I promise you won't be disappointed. Well, thank you very much, Leglau. We appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would use those words, but it'd be rude to argue with him or her. I mean, this person said it, so... Must be true. Must be true. It's on the internet. Has to be true. Must be true. Next review is titled Great 5E Actual Play and Informative Podcast written by Vanti. If I butchered that, I do apologize. Isn't that the name of the character from Serenity, Mr. Universe? No, that's the two the two twins. Okay. No, that's not right either. I don't anyway. think that's right. Anyway. It's like Shanty and Domingo or something Hey, like that. so whoever you are, if we pronounced your name properly or we didn't, that's okay. We don't care. Just tell us if it comes from Serenity. And if you are from Serenity, call me because I want to talk to you. Yeah, definitely. But in lieu of that, Vanti writes, This is one of my favorite podcasts. The actual play casts have great story, music, and sound effects. The information casts are full of great info. Aww. 
So sweet. That's that music and sound effects courtesy of Battle Bars show sponsor. Do you, can you believe somebody who was in Serenity left us that review? That's awesome. That's really awesome that people from Serenity. Hey, that means hey, this might be Joss Whedon. Oh, hey, no, hey, it's it's too short. His would be much longer than that. I don't know. I mean, he might he might be playing to his opposite so that we don't know it's him playing ah, against his style. He's tricksy. So, so Joss Whedon, if you're listening, uh, let us know and and call us so that we can talk to you and become best friends and be in all your movies and TV shows. Yes. Yes, please. Uh, you, you've got two great characters. You've got one guy that sounds kind of funny and talks a lot, and the other guy that uh, that sums it up and and says things. So, I mean, we've got a real life Waldorf and Stantler here. I think you could work that into the the revival of Buffy very easily. We can be, we can be Space Pen and Teller. Oh, Space Pen and Teller, yeah. Space Pen and Teller meets Space Buffy meets the Avengers. Dude. In in the Firefly universe. We're back in Boner Town now. Boner Town! The train made a circle. No, that's no, I'm not touching that one. Nope, nope, that was that was bad. I apologize. The next review is titled Hey Gang! And there might be some something tricky going on here because it's written by Shiver Me Timbers One, but the first sentence says this is Chris from the DMs block. So there might be some skullduggery happening here. I don't know. Uh, if someone is in trouble, blink once if you're in trouble. Blink twice if you're okay. Something along those lines. Anyway, this is Chris from the DMs Block. Keep up your great work. Love listening to your episodes. Can't wait for a Catacon 2016. Thanks, Chris. Or whoever you may be. Josh Whedon. Possibly also Joss Whedon. Uh, our next review is titled Up Your Game and Have Fun Doing It. Uh, this is written by Origami Samurai, which I approve of. That's a great username. And this is a long one, so here we go. If you're looking for a tabletop RPG podcast with a bit of everything, this is it. First off, I find something in pretty much every episode to shamelessly steal my games Hmm, I think the word was missing there. Uh, to shamelessly steal my games, whether it's a GM technique, a cool monster, or plot device, or some website, or GM tool. Probably got folded up in what he was doing. See, it's a pun, origami. Never mind, I'll skip that. The general discussion episodes are great if you're looking for advice about how to run a game, or how to be a better player. If you're new, this is a must-listen. If you've been doing this a while, you'll still find cool nuggets to try at your table. I hope they're chicken nuggets. Also, you'll feel really smart when you agree with them. They discuss pretty much everything from mechanics, story elements, managing a table, dealing with real life intruding on your game, etc. The actual plays are great as well. The episodes are edited down well, so you're not listening to somebody go looking for Cheetos, and taking five minutes to look up the grapple rules. It's because I don't eat Cheetos, because they make my keyboard messy. And I don't use grapple rules because they suck. They really do. Continuing. You'll also get to hear different GMs for the different campaigns, so you get to hear different GM styles and techniques in use. Also, you'll get to hear different game systems used. 
Not sure if you'd want to try 13th Age or Fate Accelerated Edition? Check out their trial episodes of the systems and see how they actually work at the table. Several of the trial episodes, especially for the Kickstarter games, are run by the people who wrote them or are otherwise experts in the system, so you can get a good feel for what the game is supposed to play like. There's also a smattering of RPG-related movie review episodes. If you watched the Dungeon and Dragon movies and want to commiserate about the hours of your life you'll never get back, give them a listen. One caveat. If you're a total audiophile and a completionist, the audio quality in the early episodes leaves a bit to be desired. But it gets better. Bottom line, these guys are passionate about the hobby, bringing new players into it, and helping you to have a great time at your own table, physical or virtual. My players and I are having more fun at my table because of these guys, and that's what counts. That should have just been the whole episode. You just read that, and that would be back on the meeting 100. All right, there you go. Well, thank you, Origami Samurai, for doing our job. And our last review, which is also rather lengthy, is titled Great Advice, Great Games by Richard K.L. Regardless of whether you are new or experienced at tabletop RPGs, you're going to get something awesome out of this podcast. I shamelessly steal stuff from this show to make my games at my table better. They have a bunch of different segments. The blank slash blank slash general advice episodes. That was legal censoring there. Uh, This individual wrote some words that we are no longer able to use. So the general advice episodes are where most of the discussion around how to be a better player slash DM happens. The majority of it is in the context of D&D since that's where they started. They used to be D&D Academy back in the day. Now that we can say because that wasn't legally reprimanded upon us. So that's all right. We just couldn't say the other stuff. But the advice is good for pretty much any genre, and as the show goes on, they discuss other systems as different from D&D as you can get. I've got a whole page of bullet points of cool DM tricks and tips I want to try out in my campaign that I pulled from the discussion episodes. As long as you're not actually shooting someone with those bullet points, we're probably okay. You'll also get to hear discussion that draws examples from things that happen in actual games being played by the group. Speaking of which, the actual play podcasts are great. The audio quality early on leaves a little to be desired, but it gets better. And the content is awesome. So if you're an audiophile, just suck it up. It'll be worth it. They play a lot of D&D, but there's also examples of other games. Fate Accelerated Edition in the Deadlands setting, Star Wars Edge of the Empire, etc. They also do episodes of actual plays as trials of different game systems so you get to hear how they actually work at the table. They do a pretty good job of editing out most of the random junk that inevitably happens around the gaming table, parenthesis, quote, where are the Cheetos, question mark, end quote, and parenthesis, that would be boring to listen to. There's also some interviews with people, quote, in the biz, end quote, that may clue you in to cool tools you haven't heard of or give you some insight into the people making games that you love. And they do an RPG-related movie night episode where they watch a movie and discuss it, parenthesis, Dungeons and Dragons movie, we're looking at you, and parenthesis, those are hilarious. Basically, if you're looking for a single podcast to be entertained, informed, and educated, 
on how to get better at this awesome freaking hobby, parenthesis, lifestyle, question mark, and parenthesis, check these guys out. So I think we might have had a little bit of a glitch in the matrix here because Richard K.L. and Origami Samurai seem to be saying a lot of very similar things. I think those two reviews should fight. What if one of them is Joss Whedon and the other one is Nathan Fillion? Boner Town. Boner <laughs> So if you are Joss Whedon or Nathan Fillion and you listen to this show, please write in with your actual name because Richard K.L. and Origami Samurai, while they're cool, I don't know which is which. And uh, let us know ahead of time so I can go to Sears and buy some new jeans. And if you are not Joss Whedon or Nathan Fillion, thank you very much for listening to our show and writing a review. We really do appreciate it. We absolutely appreciate the reviews. Those five-star reviews help people find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and all over the place. Plus, we love reading them because we get to goof around and have fun. And they just make us feel better because it's, you know, again, we're not shouting into the void. Uh, so if you don't use iTunes, Stitcher Radio is an option for you to leave a review, even if you don't listen to us there. So like if you listen to us on Google Play or if you listen to us on an Android or other just app or podcatcher, uh, if you want to leave us a review but there's no avenue, you can leave a review on Stitcher without getting a subscription. You just have to find our show and leave us a review, uh, and that will help us as well. So this double extra giant-sized annual episode of Faculty Meeting is coming to a close. So for Caleb, this is Michael, and we will see you next time. <laughs> I, I love that shift. I just like the fact that Dane cares about girlfriends because I'm used to characters on the show not caring about girlfriends. Watch it. Watch it, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who's Tilly? I don't remember that Asshole. name. Uh, <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> d- d- does she have any loot? Is there a sandwich? Does she make sandwiches? Right, fine. Let me just open up the monster manual and find the CR-15. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. World level fives. That's perfect. Wait. Wait. Is that how D&D works? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how this okay. works, right? You can still see the sinkholes from where you are. You've just been licking your balls rather than looking. Okay. That was, uh, thank you, Army. <laughs> I mean, if you'd been turned into a wolf this whole time, I would have made those jokes nine episodes ago. But you're the one that decides ten episodes in and be like, hey, you know what? I can turn into a wolf. I would like to bite Army and have to roll very low on my die because she's not wearing armor. <laughs> <laughs> Worst monk ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The worst. We need better coffee in this damn break room. My my union representative is going to hear about this. There it is. I'd like to talk about our promotion prospects as as continuing adjunct faculty. I I, uh, I don't know if if tenure has to be like a tenure track. Can we shorten that just a little? No? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what what does a 401k look like? I mean, are we are we aggressive? Do we match? At what level are we uh when do I get more vacation time? And uh what is what is what is uh what is what is faculty policy on uh, interfaculty relationships? 
But yeah, this is, these are things. What what is uh, what is the uh, the academy's uh, stance on interfaculty, out exterior marital relationships with each other? That got weird. Honestly, as long as you're not touching the kids, we're happy. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> All right, Man, so meeting we, we've got we've got two great rules here. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Don't touch the kids. <laughs> Don't touch the kids. <laughs> That's next t-shirt. Oh, God. That's, that's Welcome a to the Academy, guys. That's a t-shirt. Two sound yeah, bites. When you're doing it right on the back, it says, don't touch the kids. <laughs> Two sound bites. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network. Don't nice. touch the kids. All right. So this has been Michael. And then I'm going to hammer pant dance over to the other one and attack that one as well. You can't stop this. Oh, 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 oh. It's too legit. Hammer time. <laughs> you get it. Uh, but I, I missed. <laughs> I got too focused on my hammer pants dancing. Now we're... we're... Ermi also has the mechanical option of just taking a, a non-rest to regain her Yeah, points. second wind. That's, that is true. I will, in fact, second wind. What does that do for me? <laughs> Was that you? <laughs> Rules? Hello? Oh, I got an action surge, too. I should have got to look at my character sheet. <laughs> so when you mean audience, do you mean that there's monsters where the audience would be or that there's an audience, some of which are monsters? The monsters are the audience. Michael, see, that is is a common misconception because monsters are always in the audience. (laughs) The audience is always, in fact, composed entirely of monsters. Exactly. Intelligence is knowing that the the Frankenstein is the audience, not the monster. Exactly. Who's knowing that? The mm, initiative? Wait, did we ever give me that breastplate? I know we were talking about it. I don't. Remember, I don't know if it, if it was ever actually given to me yes. at the housewarming party. I mean, oh, it, I don't it think it. Okay. No, we. we yeah, we, no, we I did, think we did. We did that, didn't we? Yeah. You, but you never put it on. <laughs> no, of course not. I'm Why not wearing armor. I'm at work. I'm having I'm a like, party. I'm blah blah no, blah. I recall that we brought it with us. We 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 uh, didn't we mention specifically like, and we're bringing your damn breast. I think so. But you're probably still not wearing I mean, we don't anyway, edit, so we don't know for sure, but I think you're wearing something. <laughs> at least yeah, pants. At least, at least you're not pants. Donald Duck in it, am I right? I want my tombstone to be carved to look like a breastplate, and my epitaph just read irony. Can can all elves do that? Is it and is it racist for me to ask that question? <laughs> oh fuck all you guys! That was the funniest thing I've said all night. Disagree. I disagree. <laughs> Fine. Moving on. Scott, you're better than that. That's what we're saying to you. No, and I'm we not. love you. Oh.
because it's because it's Wednesday, which is also known as Hump Day. Humpity humpity hump day, camel time. Blah, 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 blah. I'm down. I'll never have another hump day again if I don't find my girlfriend. Wow, that's not true. You're cute and blue. So, so what you're saying is, is last last week when I needed to return Tilly's wedding ring to to the Mount Doom, that 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 jewelry shop down on yeah. Fifth, yep. you, you could have flown me right there. Yeah, the no, whole time, dude. I was busy. We, you went with me. No, no, I had this thing going on with orcs. You, you, you it, it, it's not really important, but it was important to me at the time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I see. This game is anti Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happens. Hey. <laughs> Can we put more gems? <laughs> we put more gems in the oracle. They disappear. What? I I wipe the sludge off with my beard. It disappears. <laughs> Nothing happens. Fuck <laughs> this game. Fuck it. Yeah, we'll, we'll just got to. I still initiative. I still have nightmares. <laughs> like walking along, two feet poking a pole around everywhere. When when the best thing, like when your most productive piece of the night involves a pole, ninety nine percent of the time, you know you're doing something wrong. No, you know you're doing classic dungeon crawler. Classic oh god, crawler. that's what that is. It was more of just like I hope this dungeon kills me and takes place me out of my misery. <laughs> hey guys, I solved it. I'm free. He will. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, yeah. fondles these giant black balls in his mouth. <laughs> you just keep tossing them up and Michael no, keeps knocking them out of the park. <laughs> one for rolling high and one for rolling low. Oh my God, I'm going to see if I get Lori to make dice gods to hold each die. Instead of a pantheon, it's a polython. I'm gonna say, what? Why don't you guys come up here? Water's fine. Fuck that. And he says, uh, "All right, that's me." Yeah. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck is happening? <laughs> there is there is live music across the street at the bar, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you can you yell him to, to do a sad song? For you? Oh, we're having a funeral, <laughs> assholes. Yeah. Come on, my daughter, and come on, my honey. <laughs> he sounds like he's warming up. <laughs> he's doing his scales. Is is Dane gonna sing at the funeral? What's happening? <laughs> me, 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 me. See, on page seventy-four of my dwarven funeral rites book. Singing is actually a common practice from years 263 to years 305. It's a hoedown. I knew this lady. Her name was Tilly. Yeah, she's dead. Brutal. What about my brother? I'm sorry. Grogus. Your face, I couldn't. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you, you actually might want to do that. Over. That's a very staccato kind of. I don't know if I can cut that without it. Oh, shit. Okay, hold on. Stega. <laughs> hey, my eyes are fucked up. It's hard to read my goddamn computer screen. Listen, so put it up on the main screen. Don't put it up on the, the sidey screen iPad you it have is, next to it. It is on the main screen. Jesus I don't have my Christ. iPad with Sen- me. Enable your God. high contrast compatibility mode for people with reduced vision. I don't know how to do that, Scott. Thanks for making me feel bad about myself. Wow. Is just wow. Uh, being shift like five times or something? No, that's sticky keys. Shit. What is it? All right. It's a Macintosh, so you... Oh. I don't know how to do fuck all on it. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Nobody does. Only one guy did, and he's dead. There it is. There it is. Rest in peace, Steve Jobs. Uh... If your ghost would like to visit this podcast to talk about it, write to Michael at <laughs> the function, function command option F5. Wow. Oh, my God. That's so many buttons. I know. It's accessibility, so they make it hard to access. <laughs> Fuck you, Steve Jobs. I, I rescind my offer. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> wow. Asshole. You and your fucking wow. turtlenecks. The cutting room floor is littered with un-PC <laughs> just, lingo just, this episode. Just one more thing. I'm a colossal dick. Yeah. <laughs> also, I usually don't care about my, my imaginary girlfriends. Take that, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Yo, Cassandra, drop the beat. Wicka, 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 wicka. Hey, I'm, uh, my name is Dane, and I'm here to say you killed my girlfriend. Hey, hey, hey. I'm really disappointed. I'm really hurt. And now I'm gonna burp. <laughs> wow. Oh, God, you are so fucking welcome. This is why we can't have nice. Things. This is why we don't have a. <laughs> this is why we don't have Patreon support. This white boy rap brought to you by EasyRollerDice.com. You ain't lying. <laughs> and we just lost our sponsor. And we just stop. Stop <laughs> rewind. This this control Z that this bitch. white boy rap brought to you by Blue Apron. Thanks for sending us <laughs> fancy meals in the mail. Blue Apron. If you want us to stop mentioning you, please send us actual. <laughs> please money. send us actual food. Well, Oh, wait. I just, or I just want food. Is it weird? I'm okay with just the food. I am too. Hold on. Stand by. I'm trying to find their names. I was trying to have it before, I could, I was trying to have I, it I before you had it up. That's why I keep saying sisters because I don't know their names. Right. Well, it makes sense anyway. We have a I'm Google Doc, guys. I know. I'm trying to scroll. Shut up. <laughs> And then just before I leave, I'm going to just sort of like pause and look around, and I'm going, to, I'm going to find one that's not quite finished and grab it for myself. No one stops you or interrupts you. No one even notices. Damn. Damn, Skippy. Our monk t- took levels in Rogue, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they'll serve her better than the levels in Fighter she's been taking. <laughs> Wait, she took levels in Fighter? Oh, right, the breastplate. Well, not only are they specimens of mine, but they're also my friends. So we'll be uh, we'll be all going with you. My friends and research subjects. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Professor. <laughs> I have a vested interest in your bloodlines. <sighs>
<laughs> Your blue balls are very important yep. to him. <laughs> And your and your incredible uh, what is it uh, lungs army that does <laughs> so he sits up a little one bit. lungs a little bigger than the other <laughs> yeah, one yeah exactly a little bit more sensitive oh. <laughs> real fat so tonight. much for the cutting room floor so much <laughs> so much. regalia and i'm going to basically put it on and i will wear it at the funeral we 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 bought you a perfectly nice armor you're gonna you're gonna smirk she's, accent- like that? Shh, shh, she's accentuating we're we're taking another level in fighter scott shut up just let it happen <laughs> actually i took a level in cleric <laughs> fuck what the hell is going on <laughs> worst character build ever <laughs> That's all right. Hey, Scott took a level in vengeance paladin. I get this. free proficiency in armor, which I already had that anyway. Scott's <laughs> level seven is actually vengeance paladin one. <laughs> I'm nervous. Look away. Look away. Look away. Look back. And back. Do you watch The Office? You know how sometimes they'll just let a joke hang there and eventually it gets funny? Not happened yet. Maybe a hundred more. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.